Hey guys, what's up? Colton here. Hope everybody had a good holiday and a happy new year. Uh, this is not an episode of Manga Mavericks, in case you couldn't tell. What you're about to listen to is a bonus episode of a podcast that I'm doing with my good friend Sakaki that you might have heard us mention here and there uh, every once in a while. Another Day, Another Adventure, otherwise known as Another DB Pod, a podcast where Sakaki and I are attempting to go through all of the Dragon Ball anime franchise. That's right. Right now, we are attempting to go through all of the 1986 Dragon Ball anime, and hopefully from there on, we can cover all the Dragon Ball Z, Dragon Ball GT, Super, all the movies, any cartoon with Goku in it, uh, we're going to try to cover it. The keyword there being try... But yes, this is a bonus episode of that show, specifically an episode we did where we had Laman to talk about her experience watching Dragon Ball Super Superhero, uh, the latest Dragon Ball movie to come out in theaters over in Japan and in North America uh, this past year. Obviously, we enjoyed it so much and we had so much to say about it that uh, there was no way that we couldn't talk about it on the show. I remember when Lum and I saw Broly in theaters back in 2019, I believe, that we dedicated a little time to talk about it on an episode of Mavericks, you know, back in the day. But, you know, this time since this time around, I happen to have my own Dragon Ball podcast now, you know, we sort of decided that that was sort of the more appropriate space to uh, gush about our thoughts on this movie. And so, yeah, we basically recorded this, I want to say... About a week or two after the movie came out in theaters in North America, it, it was it was still in theaters when we recorded this. And, you know, it took a while for me to uh, upload this on the Another DB Pod feed because uh, sometimes we give ourselves way too much work and sometimes things fall by the wayside and that happens sometimes. But yes, this was recently uploaded to that feed a couple weeks back at this point. And so I thought this would be the perfect thing to put on the Manga Mavericks feed and have you guys listen to. And hey, you know what? If you like what you hear, maybe you'll consider listening to the rest of Another Day, Another Adventure. I don't know. I can't make that decision for you, but it would be really cool if you did because uh, I genuinely have a lot of fun working on this podcast and I'm genuinely having a lot of fun going through the Dragon Ball anime with Sakaki. Uh, this has been one of my favorite projects to do lately. I'm hoping we can uh, we could do more soon. Uh, we had to take a very small hiatus because we had basically recorded so much that uh, I kind of needed to take a step back and focus on what we have you know recorded first before I recorded anymore. Um, but that's not here nor there. So yeah, that's basically what you're about to listen to. Obviously, at the end of this episode, you'll hear me go over you know where you can find the podcast and all of our socials and everything and how you can follow us and all all that good stuff. So with all that being said, I really hope you guys enjoy this. Uh, if you're not interested in this and would rather wait for the next episode of Manga Mavericks, I totally get that. But I at least wanted to upload something for now because our next news episode is going to come out a little later in the month. And that is going to be a little late because Lum and I just haven't really had the chance to uh, record that yet. And hey, you know what? If you like what you listen to, like I said, you'll you'll maybe have another podcast to listen to. I don't know. That's up to you. But yeah, why don't we just get on to the show? Welcome to Another Day, Another Adventure, a podcast dedicated to covering every Dragon Ball cartoon ever. I am your host, Colton, and with me, as always, is my good friend and co-host, the Gamma 2 to my Gamma 1, Sakaki. How's it going, buddy? I'm striking a pose. If you can't see it, I mean, it's, it's on you. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm doing good. <laughs> I can see your sound effects. <laughs> 
And with us on this episode is also another good friend of ours uh, from such shows as the Manga Mavericks podcast, as well as hashtag Lum Squad, Lum Ramayasha. How's it going, other bud? It's going good. You know, I mean, I wish on the Dragon Balls and Shenron, you know, he unlocked my power and gave me a little extra, and I'm orange Lum Ramayasha. Ooh. And I'm a buffer, and I, I'm orange now. So it looks, I guess, like I, I might have a tan, I guess. I don't know. But it's different. I'm a different color now. Woo. Palette Swad. It means I have a power-up. <laughs> I mean, that is a really clever name. No, but I, I thought what I... <laughs> I thought you were gonna say, I thought you were gonna say that uh, you made the, you made a wish on the Dragon Balls to have a nicer ass. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean it's also very uh, buxom as well. You know, I, I had three witches, so I I did the whole game. You know, I proved my ass, I proved my wrinkles, I got my eyelashes extended, those two millimeters. You know, all the works, all the essentials to looking good. Whatever you can do to save money on actual cosmetic surgery uh we are here to talk about <laughs> dragon ball super superhero because at the time of this recording the movie just came out this past weekend we all saw it and uh yeah it was it was a fun time i'm really glad that the movie's finally out because i'm not gonna lie i was originally very very sad when i heard that this movie was gonna have to be pushed back due to the big toei hack stuff so you know it, it was it was really hard to wait an extra two months for this movie, but I'd say it was worth the wait. Like, I'm, I'm glad we all finally got to see it. Yeah, I think it worked out in the movie's favor, too, to be pushed back, at least in terms of the international rollout, because it was able to come out during a time with less competition from other big blockbusters at the box office internationally, so it's been able to do quite well for itself. And even more impressively, in its opening weekend in North America, it made more than it has made in in two months in Japan. Jeez. 21 million to 18.5 million over two months in Japan. Wow. So that is very impressive. It is most likely going to be on track to surpass Broly's box office by the end of its second weekend. And we'll see how far it can go. With its opening weekend of about 21.1 million-ish, uh, it should probably have the legs to surpass 40 million. I don't think it'll do as much as Demon Slayer, which reached about 49 million. But you know, it it'll probably do about forty million or over. And regardless, it had very impressive accolade of being the first anime film to open at number one at the North American box office since Pokemon the first movie back in 1999. So that is a huge feat for it. Demon Slayer lost to Mortal Kombat on its opening weekend. It did get number one in the second week, but Superhero is the first anime film to open at number one in North America since Pokemon the first movie. So that's very impressive. And of course, it didn't just open number one in North America, but also worldwide in that wide release rollout. So very, very impressive for it. It's doing quite well, which, you know, it's good to see internationally it's doing quite well because in Japan, it, it, it's tracking, you know, it's done about half as well as how Broly did in Japan uh, in the comparable time frame. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what direction they take the films. And next after this, if they're going to focus on how well it's done internationally and say, okay, so this is what appealed to the international audience. So we'll continue in this direction. Or to look at how it did in Japan. It's like, okay, so this is a problem. Japan audiences didn't really come out for this. So maybe we should rethink our approach. So I'll be, I'll be curious to see how they kind of reconcile how it did domestically in Japan versus internationally. 
All right. I can't wait for more Dragon Ball movies without Goku and Vegeta, most of the movie. Yeah. I mean, we'll <laughs> see. I mean, potentially, hopefully that'll be the takeaway. It's like, hey, like the international fans really appreciated this focus on Piccolo and Gohan and want to see more stories like that. But again, it's also going to depend on how much they still want to keep the Japan audience in mind. of like, okay, we also want to make a film that the Japan audience is also going to come out for yeah. as well. So uh, we'll see. We'll see what direction they take it in. But of course, it was just an incredibly refreshing change of pace. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad that Toriyama and Toei took the film in this direction. Yeah. No, for sure. I agree. But I think in terms of a forward direction, I mean, I would like to see them continue to expand on and give spotlight to other characters that have kind of fallen out of the limelight. You know, this is the third movie in a row, and however many storylines in a row where Boo has just been completely taken out of it, just oh, for oh the excuse that he's sleeping, I would like to see, especially since the last couple of movies have all been revisiting the most iconic movies from Dragon Ball Z, you know, maybe the next movie can give some focus on Boo and have it center on the Boo-Mr. Satan friendship, oh, yeah. and I think that would be nice, and I, as a Boo fan, I would very much appreciate that. Maybe expand on the lore of the Madoshi and Majins, you know, maybe there's like an even greater uh, Majin than Boo that is awoken and Boo needs to unlock and get back in touch with his full strength of power, maybe kind of reunite with Oob, you know, maybe have a callback to Majub and GT and have like kind of a early fusion of them. This would hopefully take place maybe a little bit in the future after a point where Goku has trained Oob for a little while. I would like to see that. You know, that's another thing is that, you know, this movie is really encroaching upon where the end of Dragon Ball Z is in terms of the timeline. Yeah, it sure is. I think we really need to step forward beyond that now. Please. We need to get <laughs> some, fo some focus on having Pan and Oob in the mix and them being trained up, which I like seeing Pan get trained in this movie and i would like to see now okay can we bring oob into the picture and let's go past the end of z and have the timeline finally move forward from this 10-year gap between the end of the boot arc and the end of dbz that we've kind of been stuck in so it's time to move past it i think no for sure um real quick in case anybody at toe is listening uh i really genuinely want a Dragon Ball, like, Majin Buu and Mr. Satan road trip movie. Please make that yes. happen. Yes. I will watch that ten times in the theater. I feel, like we, I feel like we mentioned this in the show proper before, that we will want to see something like that. So, hey, we're just doubling down on that. It's very interesting hearing you guys talk about this, because as I've mentioned several times, I haven't really touched the franchise since Z ended on um Tsunami, so before I this show. So a lot of what you're saying is, like, I'm soaking this in, and I'm like, oh yeah, that did happen. And so, like, even with this movie a lot of my like approach to it was just kind of like almost as a new fan because i haven't seen very much of super at all so like yeah that's totally fair because the movie is clearly written in mind for fans who have not been keeping up with the franchise since dragon ball z both this movie and Broly is like made with as few references to the Super TV series or the manga as possible. And yeah. Especially with this movie, it's like it's giving you all the context you need. Really, the only context you need for this movie is maybe the previous movie. But even then, for the scene that directly follows upon Broly, I mean, it barely factors into the plot of the film. So you don't even really need to have seen that. So, you know, it is... These 
these films are being written with the mind of, okay, we are focusing on people who are familiar with Dragon Ball Z and perhaps the stuff before the events of Dragon Ball Z, original Dragon Ball. And, uh, you know, we'll throw in references to things that happen super, but we're not going to dwell on them. So to make this movie as accessible to the broader audience. So, yeah, don't worry. We'll mention Jiren at least once. Yeah, Jiren's <laughs> given another name drop in this movie. He was shown in the last movie too briefly as they talk about how many strong people are at the Tournament of Power. So like they reference the Tournament of Power and like, oh, there are other gods of destructions out there and stuff like that. But like they you don't need to have known all of that stuff to really understand the movie. You don't need to have seen it because all you need to know is the context. Okay, there's another strong opponent out there that is motivating their training. Pretty much. And it did its job. It made Making me interested, like, because all I know about Jiren is from memes. <laughs> so, so oh, yeah, I basically you haven't seen Super. I know I've not seen Super, so like I didn't know anything about them. So when they name dropped them. It, it it was effective. Now I kind of do want to watch Super to find out what they're talking about. But again, I guess. In that perspective, I am the person they wrote this movie for because, <laughs> like, I <laughs> it, it went by. It was something I was like, oh, okay. And then you know they it was. And as far as that goes, like, I know I was sort of spoiled in like different universes on Twitter because I mentioned that I saw the movie on Twitter and somebody like kind of responded thinking I'd already seen Super. I was like, no. <laughs> I mean, they were apologetic, but it was just like, and this is now. This is giving me definitely the background to be like, I I do want to actually try to watch Super. I, I don't know if I'm going to wait until we get to it or just start watching it on my well, own. You're going to be waiting at least 15 years, my friend. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> I know. That's, that's like, I'm torn, but I'm just like, realistically speaking, it would make sense to just watch it. And then at least when we get to our watch through, then it, it's not completely new territory for me. Mm-hmm. Look, it, it is not stipulating your contract that you definitely sign for the show that you have to wait until we get to it on timeline to watch Super. <laughs> yeah. So you, can, so you can watch whatever you want. I mean, they, they do have that one box set that was on sale, like, for the entire yeah. thing, yeah. so... It actually looked like a pretty cool release. Yeah. The box yeah, set that's coming out. Yeah, I have that. I have that sitting in my right stuff cart, and I've been just kind of like, you know, I, I I have been hesitating to click that button. Just more, not so much because I'm like, oh, maybe I should watch, wait to watch Super, but because I don't really have a whole lot of space. No, that's fair. Lum being at my house knows. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so that's a thing, but like, yeah, yeah. But I mean, definitely, I could watch it streaming in, in the end if I decide to just go for it. Yeah. To just return to the point about wanting a movie about Boo and Mr. Satan, you know, especially with how this movie focuses on how much a part of the Sohn family Piccolo is, you know, Boo is as much a part of that family, of the Satan family, you know, as no, for sure. kind of Mr. Satan's partner, basically. <laughs> uh, so, you know, uh, that's why I want to just focus in, okay, where does Boo fit in with the family and just have some focus on that? Maybe what is Boo's relationship with Pawn? You know, we saw a movie about uncle piccolo how about now movie about uncle boo (laughs) and that's another way to also continue on like the story of you know pawns growth is to just see oh how are these other figures in her life like influencing her and her growth and i think that'd be cute and also you know we didn't really see mr saw in this movie i would like to see in another story more of their relationship too no i would you know obviously mr satan is not uh, like someone who can like mentor pawn in the quite the same way as someone who's not nearly as strong but you know i would i would like to see you know what the relationship is like and what influence he may have on her i think that be a cute story and you know what also do more with Videl potentially in that scenario she it's barely in this movie she can stand to be 
in it more. Yeah, so. yeah. I mean, I, I I'd be definitely down for more of the Funkles. So like, let's let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> and like, no, and and what Lum's is sorry, I, not, just real no, quick. It's okay. What Lum is saying is definitely something I would like. To, I would actually love to see just like the series progress with like Pen being like the central focus. Like, as a yeah, new exactly. fighter, like, growing up. With all of these people that are surrounding her that can give her training and, like, experience and all everything like that, it would be interesting if they did. Like, we could still have the Goku and Vegeta antics and everything like that, but I would like I would like her to be kind of, like, center stage, kind of, like, as the new sort of kid who's growing up and getting more the powerful. The new Goku. And- <laughs> and I think that's yeah, where yeah. the potential is, is to focus on the new generation, to focus on characters like Han and Oob, who have a lot of growing to do. And a lot more directions their character can go in than, you know, Goku and Vegeta, where, you know, like Dragon Ball continues to need to find ways to escalate itself. And how it does that is like, oh, new transformations. Uh, Now there's another strongest person in the universe that we didn't know existed, you know, and stuff like that. And more like battles with like planet shattering stakes and all that. But I think, you know, there's only so far you can go with that. And they if they want to continue making stories they probably should sew the base on how far that is escalating and you know focus on newer characters and their stories and growth and i think that's kind of more invigorating direction for the series and i think that's a lot of why people really have responded really well to this movie is that you know we are taking a break from goku and vegeta and just their consistent prat of growth and we're focusing on the growth of other characters and how other characters can deal with situations without them. And I think that was so great to see in Piccolo really taking the center spotlight of this movie, you know, really being the focus of the movie, you know, first time in a while where, you know, it's not the main hero of the movie, I would say, is not a Saiyan character. And I think that is just really refreshing. I think that's really cool. No, for sure. But before we get too much into the movie, though, I am just kind of curious. We were kind of talking about it off mic, but um, I guess uh, I was kind of wanting to know what your guys' theater experiences were like. And I guess I can get kind of mine out of the way because it's pretty easy. Uh, I actually saw this movie. I was on a trip in Pittsburgh with my friend, and uh, we just happened to have time that Saturday to go see it. I saw this opening weekend. You know, I, I, I came in. I came in with my podcast work uniform, my, my favorite Batman shirt, which uh, I really appreciate, like, the photo of Vegeta that the Red Ribbon Army has in the movie is of, is of him wearing that shirt. Uh, so uh, I felt seen there. But, uh, yeah, I can't say that, like, I'm trying to think, because obviously, like I said, I saw this opening weekend. I want to say, because the theater I went to also seemed like a pretty old rundown theater, like not a lot of people. It didn't seem like the kind of theater theater that got like a whole lot of business, at least not as far as I could tell. Um, but there was still like, I want to say anywhere between like 10 to 15 people there, which I feel like for a Saturday, I feel like there'd be more, but I, I don't know. So th- there there weren't as many people there as I thought there'd be, but... um. You know, I I thought the I thought my theater crowd was pretty like reactive to like most of the jokes, which is which is cool because uh we'll we'll get into this when we start talking about the movie proper. But man, this this movie, I'm really glad that my audience seemed to jive with the humor because like this movie is like peak Toriyama humor like all the way through, which is something I really love. Mm-hmm. It's a comedy focused movie, yeah. Yeah, I think it did a really good job of merging those worlds of having you know the fisticuffs and Toriyama humor. Like that's the one thing I really appreciated with this movie. Hmm. Yeah. So 
not not much else to report on that front, though I will say I, I did see the movie again today, so I, so that way it's a little fresher in my memory. Um, I think I had like nine people in my theater, which I guess makes sense because I, I saw it in the middle of the day at like 2.30 in the afternoon. Today it's Today's a Thursday, so I think that like makes sense. It was like a matinee, like not a whole lot of people are going to be there in the middle of the day on Thursday, but uh, yeah, not as many people at my showings as I thought there'd be, but like still, I, I would say that like my crowd was like, enthusiastic that I think they really enjoyed the movie, which is good. And that's all I can ask for. I don't know how your guys' experiences were, though. Uh, For me, I went to see it last Saturday. At, uh, I mean, I mentioned it to Colton and like I sub showings for some reason in my state are really weird. They're like all super late at night. <laughs> so like I was lucky to find one at 4 p.m. on Saturday. So what I've been doing lately is like when I go to see a movie, I go to see two. So it's not like so I can get out of the house more often, which I that came out sadder than I thought. <laughs> but um yeah, I went to <laughs> no, see I, I can't I went to see Bullet Train at twelve thirty, saw that first, then you know, I just kinda hung around a little bit and then did Super at four. Like I was also wearing a Batman shirt and like when I left the theater after Bullet Train, like a couple guys recognized me and they're like, Oh yeah, you know, uh, Vegeta Batman, like, yeah, nice. And I was like, you know, it, it, that was kinda nice fun. Vegeta reference. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, yeah, you know, another like lady was like, "Oh, I know what you're here to see." <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, yeah, that was that was the peak of it. Like, Bullet Train was pretty empty. Also, yeah, also I had to go to the theater out of my way to go see it. And, I mean, not super really? out of my way. When I say out of my way, it's not a theater I go to often. It was like. 20 hmm. minutes away from my house, but like, and I've been there maybe once in my life, but like, yeah, I went back and the place, I haven't been there in a while, so it was like kind of run down. Like, I was kind of surprised at like how much, how little there is in that area now. It used to be a big like shopping district, but I guess a lot of it, like maybe, I don't know how long it's been that way, but like, yeah, maybe because of the effects of the quarantine and everything, a lot of stuff has closed. Yeah. So mm. that was a thing. And like the theater itself was pretty, it was pretty good and everything. Like, again, Bullet Train was mostly empty. Super, like, I went to go see the sub. Let me put that out there. And it was, I, I want to say it was like, there were two guys, me, and like three other people in it. Like, and this was Saturday at 4 p.m. Unfortunately, the two guys, they were like, I, I guess they were mostly talking about other Dragon Ball things. And like, they, they were very, very... You could definitely t they were commenting during the whole thing, so they kind of like, I don't know if they're doing a commentary track or maybe they oh, were boy. recording. They were recording yeah. for a podcast while watching. I don't know. So I mean, at least like I want to say a third of the way through the movie, they uh, they got more engaged, and by more engaged, I mean they shut up. <laughs> so well, they weren't doing any like MST three K shit, were they? I, I, a little bit. <laughs> a little. Oh, that sounds awful. <laughs> that, 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 that was like, and I kind of wish. I mean, the nice thing was like i i had you know obviously i i picked my seat and i was able to kind of get away from them because it was not many people there because if i had to stay in my seat the whole time i would have gone crazy i would have also gone orange in the theater <laughs> but but um like yeah i was able to get away from them and then it was a little and a third of the way through they stopped talking but like yeah and they were other than that there wasn't really a lot obviously since there weren't a lot of people there wasn't like a whole lot of engagement and everything like that but i know like a few other people that i came in to see they were 
essentially, I, I'm pretty sure they were like a parent with their kid that was into Dragon Ball. Oh, that's cute. Aww. And the parents seemed to be really into it. Like, you know, they were laughing along with the jokes and everything, which that, that was nice to see. Because, like, of course, we're anime vets, I guess, for lack of better terms. So, like, it's nice to see somebody who's like, people who are probably not as familiar with, like, anime or Dragon Ball, you know, really enjoying the, the film. And yeah, that's good. I, and other than that, yeah, I mean, it was a pretty laid back experience. I, I guess I was. I know that there had been some discussion, like, that the dubs were definitely being, you know, more filled out. And I, and I definitely want to see the dub. I just wish, uh, if it weren't for work, I would have gone to see the dub again. But, like, oh, yeah. Um, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. I totally forgot to mention that both times I've seen this, I saw this dubbed. I really, really wanted to see it in Japanese subtitled today, but uh, I was telling Lemon Sakaki off mic that um, even after I had seen the film this past weekend, the next day after on Sunday, you know, before I made my way back home, I was looking up showtimes for my local theater, specifically right by my apartment, and the one sub screening that I would have had time to go to today before we recorded already sold out. Like, I looked throughout this whole week, and I think my theater specifically is only doing, like, one sub-screening a day at, like, various times. Like, the one for today was, like, 5 o'clock. The others were at, like, 8 o'clock or whatever. Like, really weird various times. So, like, I really wanted to see both versions of this, but unfortunately I couldn't. But, I mean, that's fine, because, like, overall, I thought the dub was good. So, like, I don't have any problems with watching Dragon Ball dub or whatever. But definitely, as soon as I have the time within, like, the next week or so, I want to see this in Japanese before it leaves the because this is the first time also we should have mentioned that a Dragon Ball film has come over to North America and we actually have the option to see it in Japanese subtitled which is cool yeah it's gl- I'm glad that they finally are releasing both dub and sub screenings for Dragon Ball movies now you know we didn't get that with Broly but now I think they've seen like hey yeah like people will come out to see sub showings uh, especially with movies like Demon Slayer and Jujutsu Kaisen where I think a lot of the business was slanted towards sub showings that definitely kind of let Sony slash Crunchyroll know that yeah people want to see these films sub though I will say that anecdotally I and I think that in your guys' cases it also goes to show that the sub showings generally are, are not as much attended as sub showings except I mean in your case you were telling me of course that the sub-showing that was going on today was, like, completely sold out. Yeah. So there are exceptions, but, like, I will say in my market, most of the sub-showings are being dropped either in favor of more dub-show times or just completely because, you know, they have not been as well attended as dub show times that's interesting i i mean of course i didn't see broly in theaters and i don't remember my experience trying i just know that overall trying to see it in my state at all was difficult and i absolutely refused to go to dc <laughs> so, so i didn't see it in theaters but that's interesting i didn't know that they didn't have um sub showings of it because i do remember I don't remember how long ago that was because everything. 2019. 2019. Okay, because, yeah, because I do remember, like, um, that was around the time of Stampede. I remember seeing that subbed. Stampede, yeah, it was October 29th. But, yeah, St- One Piece has been done differently. Like, One Piece f- was from gold. Like, they had dub and sub available. But with Dragon Ball, they just focused on dub. That's interesting. I think it's because the idea is perhaps, well, the audience that grew up with Dragon Ball North America mostly grew up 
with seeing the dub on TV. So mostly people are going to come out for the dub screenings. Uh, I think that was the logic. And now they're like, well, now we have an audience that has really got it into Dragon Ball from keeping up with the Dragon Ball Super simulcast. And so they're acclimated to the Japanese version and they will come and watch that too. Okay. Yeah, that makes much. sense. That makes sense. Okay. And one other thing to note about, you know, anecdotes of teeters or showtimes being, you know, not that full or sparsely populated, especially compared to, say, Broly's opening weekend screenings, at least in my case, during the times I saw Broly on opening weekend, it was in packed rooms. The big difference there to mention is that Broly opened in about... 1200 theaters at its peak but Dragon Ball Super Superhero opened to over 3000 so there was you know about at least a 2.5 times as many theaters that this movie opened to so there were just more places for people to go see the movie and at those places there were a lot more showtimes this was presented as the like kind of marquee release of the weekend so there were multiple showtimes a day to go see it at whereas when Broly came out in some markets, you will get a couple showtimes, but not nearly as many as they gave Superhero in most markets on its opening weekend. So, yeah, there's just, like, more showtimes, more places to see it. And clearly, though, uh, you know, going into the weekend... That made some people think, oh, is this movie not going to do as well? It didn't do as well as in Japan. Like, Mike Tool had his observations like, I figured it wasn't going to do as well as Broly. I guess we'll see how much less good he'll do. But no, I mean, the opening weekend gross, uh, you know, whether it's because the audience for the movie has just grown or just the accessibility was just put in place for more people to come out to see it. Uh, it made double of what Broly made on its opening weekend. You know, Broly made about 9 million and this movie made, again, 21 million. So, again, no, this is hugely successful. Oh, um, yeah. So their rollout strategy really worked out. So that's very impressive. And, yeah, so that's that's really great to see. But, yeah, I mean, that also going into my theater experience now. Another thing they did for this movie, of course, is that they showed it in IMAX. And so I did go see Ooh. the IMAX showing uh, for my first time with it. I went on that Friday uh, of its opening. I chose about a 5.15 showtime. I went with V-Lord and Vix. And, yeah, I, I would say that in the room there were about maybe 20 people there, I think, maybe two dozen-ish, uh, you know, and spread out during the room. And I will say that I, I think the movie did look really good on the IMAX screen, especially because obviously they use a lot of camera movements to take advantage of the 3D environment in the movie. It is kind of nice to like get kind of immersed in that in the big IMAX screen. So I think, you know, it was actually worth it to see it in IMAX for this movie. I mean, I would have not necessarily liked to pay the IMAX prices. I wish that <laughs> this movie had been available on AMC A-list from over opening day rather than you know it not being a-list compatible for a week and now it is available on a-list which hey at least it's a week earlier than usual because normally funnies slash crunchy rolls theatrical releases they're not available on a-list for like two weeks like two weeks they're presented as like special event pricing before they go into a-list so yeah but hey you know only one week this time which is nice so i was able to see it again today using a-list which is pretty good but no to go back for the opening showtime uh, i had a lot of fun with it watching it with vix and v lord wix and i generally 
end up, you know, talking with each other during the movie and, you know, getting excited about things. So unfortunately, we were kind of, uh, I guess, <laughs> unfortunately for other people, maybe the... Oh, the you were part of the problem. And, yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, because we actually did get a noise complaint. And I feel bad about that, that we weren't controlling our volume maybe early on in the movie. So I think that we had some people sitting right in front of us that actually shifted a few seats to the <laughs> right of us because we, we were a little too loud. So I feel bad about that. But, you know, me and Vix were just really uh, engaged in like talking about and like noticing parts of the movie uh, and stuff like that. So we had a really fun time with it. And yeah, so uh, we came out of that pretty happy with it. Vix, especially, she was like, you know, really, really enjoying the movie. She had a really great time with it. And um, yeah, I, I enjoyed that opening Ignite experience. And actually, after the screening, we actually were like kind of got a chance to do like a post track type survey. You know, there are like kind of these survey services of interview audiences after they come out of a movie about like oh, wow. you know, what they thought about it and, you know, their general path to seeing the movie, like how they found out about it, you know, through what advertising channels, their, you know, frequency of attending movie theaters and movies in general and stuff like that. So it was kind of interesting to go through and fill out one of that surveys for Cine Vote was the name of the, the company that I did the survey for. That's interesting. I've never had to do something like that before. Yeah, it was it was interesting to fill out. But yeah, that's how they get these analytics of like, okay, what type of audiences are going out to see this movie? So thanks to that, you know, on services like Post Track, you know, we know that a lot of the audience for the movie were people between the ages of 1834, you know, our age group, like 70% of the audience that came out to see the movie opening weekend was between 1834. Their 18% was under 17. So, you know, more people who are young adults than like kids went in to see the movie and uh, skewed way more towards dads and boys. So 78% of the attendance was male. And, uh, but yeah, most audiences gave it a pretty good recommended ratings. And it goes to show like how huge the Dragon Ball is for the Latin American market because even in here in America, I mean, 30% of the audience was Hispanic and Latino audiences. So it goes to show, you know, I, I had like a San Diego Comic Con, I attended like a panel that was talking about how influential anime is to Latin American artists and creators. And one of the panels was like, you know, you don't insult uh, Dragon Ball. Like Dragon Ball is more important than like politicians to most Mexicans. Goku is like way more important than all to, to the national figures as many uh, Mexican audiences. And like there was an anecdote from one of the people on the panel. It was like when they said they didn't watch Dragon Ball, people were like gas like they hit their grandmother. <laughs> That's what they're actually so. You know, again, just uh, Dragon Ball extremely popular with Latin American audiences. So that was kind of interesting to note that the, those demographics uh, are reflected here as well. But yeah, so I have seen, actually, I guess I'm the only one right now who has seen the movie both dub and sub. So I went to see the sub today which, you know, I'm glad that it was on A-list. So I was just able to go to my local AMC because otherwise I was thinking of just driving a little bit of ways to see it at a theater that was offering like a cheaper showtime because that's kind of interesting thing about like these flexible pricing at AMC depending on the market is that in some markets like ticket price it'll be like much higher than others so like at my local one it was like going to be like $15 as opposed to one that was like 20 minutes away where it was going to be like just 
less than five dollars even so you know huge difference there but no i was just able to see it on eight so i went again today around 2 45 to see the sub show time there are about i would say four other people there a group of three and then just one other person and then i you know brought in my lunch to watch while eating the movie as i often do but uh, yeah i enjoyed seeing it again subbed as well i think you know comparing the two i like the dub script more there are just some slight rephrasing of things and added touches to the dub script that i find more uh endearing and even funnier than in the original in a way that i think is still reflective of like the the heart and intent it's not completely a rewrite but you know i just gives it a bit of a, a little extra that you know i really really liked about it so yeah i think i i edged towards the dub but the sub of course is still great but great performances all around by toshio furukawa and yuko minaguchi and stuff like that and yeah so enjoyable in both versions. You can't go wrong. And again, it's it's a real treat and pretty incredible to be able to see Dragon Ball subbed in a, a movie theater now. So that's a really great thing. And I'm glad that we're just at that place now. I don't think for a lot of old Dragon Ball fans who are like keeping up with the series when it was first coming out in North America, I feel like it's definitely got to be a dream come true, like something never thought they would end up seeing happen. So I, I'm sure the guys who consent you are just like over the moon at being able to have that opportunity now. So yeah, that's basically my teeter uh, experiences in a nutshell. You know, again, I wasn't able to go to crowds that were like super packed. So unfortunately, I don't think the enthusiasm in the room was quite as, as strong as I had hoped. There were some chuckling at jokes and stuff. Uh, people were getting excited. Like today when I was seeing the movie, you know, when Goten and Trunks are like suggesting their views, definitely that group of street behind me was like very excited for that <laughs> and there was a lot of good yucks to be had about that and you know so there was there's some good reaction to the comedy but you know compared to when i saw like resurrection f in a packed room the vibe is just different you know it's really fun to be in a room just full of fans just completely to really take in and appreciate and laugh at all the jokes in a riotous communal spirit and also you know get sucked into the energy of a film just generally like with broly when i saw in those packed opening weekend showtimes so that's a bit of a shame to not have that with this film as a byproduct of it opening wide in so many theaters but still again it worked out in terms of accessibility so i'm just glad for that as well but yeah that's my experience okay okay I think it's safe to say we've all had a good experience watching the movie in theaters. This is definitely worth seeing on the big screen. Um, I forgot to mention earlier, actually. So the theater I went to in Pittsburgh, this was just like a local theater. It wasn't like an AMC chain or anything. So like the screen was a lot smaller than I was used to, which was interesting. I couldn't tell you like how big it was, but it definitely wasn't as... I I would say it was like, like half the size, maybe a little bit more than like an AMC screen. So that kind of took me out of it a little bit. I was like, in the moment, I was like, man, I really wish the screen was bigger. Um, So I'm glad I saw it again at an AMC theater where the screens were much bigger in comparison. I'm not sure if I knew this was out in IMAX. And I mean, I'm not sure if I would want to pay IMAX prices personally. But I mean, like, if I had the opportunity to see it in IMAX, I'd like, I probably wouldn't pass it up. Like, I don't know. I, I haven't really seen any, like, IMAX screenings of things. just not something I usually go for. But I mean, I don't know. Like, if I had the opportunity, like, I would love to, like, see what this looks like on an IMAX screen. I think that'd be pretty cool. 
Yeah, this one I think made use of IMAX well in comparison to Demon Slayer where, you know, I wasn't that impressed with how it looked on IMAX. I thought it looked just as good, if not perhaps I preferred it even better on just the regular screen to IMAX with Demon Slayer. But this one, again, because of how it takes advantage of the scope of its environment, thanks to the 3D modeling, 3D environments, and how the camera moves through it, I think it really did benefit from being able to have that immersive big IMAX screen to watch it on. And definitely, you know, this was very successful on IMAX. Uh, like 40% of its box office slot in the opening weekend came from IMAX showtimes. And it was the highest grossing anime opening on IMAX yet. So wow. it's pretty good for it. Um, but uh, I think we've talked enough about our general theater experiences. And I kind of want to talk about the movie. And uh, I'll go ahead and start us off. I thought this movie was good. I liked it. I enjoyed it. And I mean, I almost hesitate saying this because I don't want to be like that guy. But like, I'm just going to get out of the way. I didn't like this as much as Broly. But also, I do recognize that like, I feel like very few, you know, things in the Dragon Ball franchise are going to reach those same exact heights or surpass them at all. And I'm just gonna, I, I need to like, you know, keep that in mind. Because Broly was just so special. And like, you can you can really tell they really wanted to do something different and like, really go all out in the animation, especially for the fights, which I'm not saying they didn't do that here. Because like, obviously, I think there was a lot of trepidation for this movie at first, because this is th this is incorporating a lot more CG, which I will say, I think the 3D CG in this is really good. Like, I think this is a good melding of 3D and 2D. Like, there was never a point... Well, it's all 3D CG. I mean, it's all computer animated. Well, well, no, because there, there, there are parts in the movie that are clearly 2D. So the only sequences in the movie that are 2D are, like, the flashbacks to events in DBZ. Those sequences are, like, 2D animated. But the rest of the movie, the, the main movie, is all CG animated that is just cel-shaded to look like 2D. What I'm saying specifically is that I like that even though this was a th clearly a 3D movie all the way through, I like that it still kind of felt like a 2D movie, you know? Like, it didn't look jarring to be at all you know yeah the designs looked in line with the aesthetic of dragon ball so it did not have that uncanniness to it which you know to me like i really just completely did not pay attention to the fact that it was 3d cg after a while because like to me i was like oh yeah this just looks like dragon ball so i yeah, could just appreciate sure. it and it looks you know Especially after being used to seeing Dragon Ball rendered really well in 3D CG in like a lot of recent games and stuff, particularly fighters. You know, I'm just used to Dragon Ball looking this way. And I think this was a good translation of like making a full movie at kind of the type of design quality. And, uh, you know, they also, of course, like did some good effects with like the line work and stuff to give it kind of more of a 2D feel. You'll notice that the line work of the character is a little bit rough, so it, it can look like it has that feel of like, oh, it looks more like it's traditionally animated as opposed to just stiff 2D. So, yeah, I appreciate that. And obviously, again, they managed to capture kind of the flatter aesthetics of how a 2D animation looks and how Dragon Ball generally looks on these CG models. So I think the best thing I can say about this movie in terms of like how it looks is that after watching this movie, I genuinely would not be upset if for the next movie they do, if they were to like keep 
this look for the movies all the way through. Like, I, I would be fine if the rest of the movies looked like this, honestly. Yeah, there are, like, only a few times. I think usually when you have overhead shots, that's when you can notice, like, yeah, like, I am aware now that this is, like, a CG movie. But, like, otherwise, you know, when characters are just front-facing, they generally read pretty well. I think, like, the worst translations, probably, in capturing that effect for Goku and Vegeta, uh, particularly with Vegeta, I think his model was the most off like even front facing especially with how they rendered his hair it's like as big as the rest of his head in a way that is a little unnatural for Vegeta's design even with how consistent a uh, hair volume can be in Dragon Ball but yeah just in general though the models all look really really good and really good translations to the design to the format honestly I was to a point that sometimes I forgot it was like a CG that that's how Same. much I like yeah. this I if yeah. you if somebody had showed me this and I didn't read anything I I might think sometimes like oh okay I mean I think Lum said it best with the way that fights are more dynamic now that's the biggest difference that I've seen with watching this versus like watching a 2D Dragon Ball movie because like you have more of the camera you know yeah it's the camera moves through the environment that are the real tell like when you have the scene of Gohan like getting angry in the yard of his house and transforming Super Saiyan you have like the shot just kind of wind out from like Gohan like creating the crater all the way to like seeing a wide shot of his house and like the size of the graders created and then of course like the continuous expanded pan where we're like seeing pan on the balcony and then we'd like just go out from that to see the foreground of the red ribbon army base with all the villain group like kind of at the front you know that long continuous shot so you have camera moves like that that are much easier to accomplish in 3d and so they use the technology well to create sequences like that that could take advantage of what the technology would allow them to do yeah yeah, definitely. That's that's pretty much the only like real tell for me that this was a CG movie. I mean, obviously I know it is, but like otherwise I would have just thought, hey, you know, it's DB with you know movie quality animation, you know. I I think um because I, I I just said earlier like oh I wouldn't mind if like the rest of the movies look like this going forward. I do think that like. I'll say for, like, a first outing in terms of, like, making a fully 3D CG movie for Dragon Ball, I thought this was a good first outing, but I also think that, like, if they were to do this kind of thing for the next movie they do, I think it could look even better, honestly. Yeah, I think they can improve on this, for sure. No, yeah, I was just gonna say, like, like this already looks really good, but, like, I could see these techniques and this style of animation getting even better, is the thing. Yeah, as it often does with CG animated films, you know, they could continue to learn and grow more like that's pixar's whole thing is that at every movie they figure out another challenge to break through and so they films continue to look better and better so now that toei is on this path and they've been on this path for a while not with dragon ball specifically but they've been working on and making cg films and cg animated stuff for quite a while now so they've improved a lot to get to this point from when they started and i think they can continue to evolve from here because they're still their studio is still working on a lot of CG products, entirely not just this movie. I mean, they're still working on the current Saint Seiya series and stuff like that. So that Slam Dunk movie is obviously going to be 3D CG. Yeah, Slam Dunk is still going to be in this style too, where it's like a translation of Slam Dunk to of the aesthetic of it to 3D CG. So yeah, and for TV animation, you have Die, which has been using kind of a fusion of both, and it's looked pretty good. So okay, yeah. Hmm. Um. Yeah. I'm, 
this, this is kind of off topic. I'm really interested in seeing how that slam dunk movie is going to look because, I mean, as disappointed as I was at first that, like, it wasn't going to be in 2D, like, I totally understand them going that route for something like slam dunk. And honestly, I think it'll benefit from it, honestly. Yeah, I mean, the teaser looked really good. And I think it's the same approach as this, where they're trying to have the aesthetic look like the regular 2D aesthetic of Slam Dunk, but you're just using CG modeling and animation. And I think that, you know, especially after seeing how well they did for Dragon Ball this film, I think they can do it really well with Slam Dunk. So looking forward to that. For sure. I think my only thing with going from 2D to 3D in this case, and I mean, I'm so sorry, I'm, I'm really trying not to make like too many Broly comparisons because I really don't want to do that. But I will say, just kind of comparing the two, uh, while I do really love the, uh, I love the way the action in this is shot and like how dynamic it is, I think it's really good. A part of me does kind of like miss sort of like the expressiveness that comes with like 2D animation in particular. Like that was part of the reason why I love Broly so much and I genuinely think it's probably still like my favorite Dragon Ball movie to date. Yeah. So I do kind of miss that in this movie, but still, I I, I can't say it doesn't look good because it does. Yeah, I mean, the animation is good, but I definitely do feel like the character of the character animation is not quite as strong. And that's what Broly's greatest strength was, is that you could really see the personality of the characters come across in the animation and in their fighting styles and in how that changes, how their personality, how the way they're thinking changes as the fight progresses. Yeah. And especially because so much of the movie relies on that contrast between kind of the state of minds of Goku and Vegeta versus Broly and Broly increasingly losing control. The character of that animation was just so essential in telling that story. Oh yeah. Which is just one of the reasons why I absolutely love the animation and love how the fighting in that film progressed. Yeah. In contrast, you know, Superhero has some really good fight scenes and it has some nice, you know, fun facial animation moments you know where characters reacting to gags and stuff there is some so good it, character animation it's in done this movie though. well it's done well but it's not as it doesn't quite capture the personality characters through the animation in the same way it's like you know a mocks differ by comparison and you're not it's not really telling the story through the animation in the same way broly accomplished and certainly it's not telling the story like just through sheer power of the visuals just through the fighting in the same way no, as yeah. uh, Broly did. Which, you know, it didn't need to do that. Like, Broly was a unique case where so much of the story was the fight and told through the fight. In this case, you know, it, this is more of a narrative-based approach. It definitely comes from a writerly mindset. So it doesn't quite work in the same way and it didn't need to. But I think that is a strength that I really, really appreciate about Broly that I did feel was a little missing in this film. Yeah, for sure. I mean, just in general, and I would love it if like a few years from now, I, w I could be proven wrong on this. But I just kind of feel like in general, when it comes to comparing 2D and 3D animation, I just kind of feel like in general, there is an expressiveness that comes with 2D that I think is just not impossible, but it's just kind of hard to replicate in 3D. It's definitely not impossible to replicate in 3D because the bad guys were this year was freaking phenomenal in how expressive okay. and how loose those characters moved and how the animation flowed and it was just such 
a phenomenally animated film in terms of just how incredibly expressive those characters were. So I need to see that. I've heard good things. Yeah, no, I like we're at a place where like, yeah, CG animation can do what 2D is doing and having that personable touch and having that same level of expressiveness and going wild with it. But in this film, the animation was not as fluid as Broly's you know it's just it was a lot stiffer because it was focusing more on like a consistent model based approach whereas like in Broly you really got the individual spirit of the animators shines through in their scenes oh, yeah yeah, yeah. because yeah you have stuff like Lupin the first Lupin the third the first that was also super that was really good I was impressed when I got that's another to great example yeah. god yeah. I I would love it if we could get a Dragon Ball movie that looked like that. I don't know if we ever will, but I would love that so much. Mm -hmm. The Bad Guys is actually a good reference point because it was so influenced by the designs and sensibilities of Akira Toriyama. Like directly, the team behind the movie said that they were super inspired by Akira Toriyama's art. That makes sense. So it's like, yeah, I mean, that's a great comparison point to how I'd love to see a Dragon Ball film look, especially if they emphasize the, the cartoony side of Dragon Ball. I'm pretty sure some of the people that worked on this movie are also huge Lupin fans, if I uh, if I remember correctly. I mean, yeah, the bad guys is basically furry Lupin the third, you know. Okay, now I have to see it. <laughs> is made. Yeah, no, they, they they wear their influences on their sleeves. Okay, that's that's actually pretty fucking cool. I, I got to put that on my queue. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, like, again, for a first outing, this is good. But I do think if they do this next time, it could look even better. Like, there's room to improve on. And I, I think in terms of how well they improve, like, th there's nowhere to go but up. Like, I genuinely think the next time they do a film in this style, like, it'll look even better. And I'm I'm really, yeah. I'm really excited to see, like, how the rest of the movies will look from here. I mean, just comparing the CG in this film to the CG sequences in Broly, like, it's already, like, a huge oh, yeah. step up. So and, much like, better. <laughs> feeling as part of the aesthetic of Dragon Ball, so. Yeah, that, that's, yeah. that's the only moment in the, in Broly in particular that felt, like, the most jarring, where it's like, oh, now I'm just, now I'm just watching a video game. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the sequence of the combined Kamehameha Galagon. It looks great, but it, it's still very striking that, yeah, these are CG models. It's very noticeable, now. yeah. 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 But I mean, I guess, um, I don't know if we want to talk about this now or maybe save this for later. You guys can let me know. But I mean, like, I, I guess before we get into like specifics, I guess where for you guys does this kind of rank amongst like the modern films? Because for me, I would say, again, I said at the top, I don't like it as much as Broly, but I think I, I like this more than Resurrection F for sure. Um, I think for me, I would say I like this about as much as Battle of Gods, if not maybe a little bit more, because Battle of Gods is also another movie that like has a lot of great character interaction type stuff. And that's kind of the reason you're watching the movie is to kind of watch the characters like just interact and be with each other. You know, I, I feel like this movie has a lot of that, but I would say the only thing that Superhero really kind of improves on compared to Battle of Gods specifically is the action because the action in battle of gods is like fine but that's not really like the main thing like that that's not the thing i take away from the movie personally like i think this movie has both great character interaction stuff and like great action so yeah i would say slightly better than battle of gods but still liked it more than resurrection f i mean i don't know how, how, do you, how, do you, how are you guys feeling i haven't seen battle of gods so <laughs> okay one of the next times lover <laughs> i are hanging out with you we need to get you to watch battle of gods <laughs> okay so yeah uh, you know that's a missed opportunity when you're here we didn't show you battle of gods before showing you resurrection f because we have battle of gods <laughs> ah, yeah yeah that should have been a thing like we should totally just watch it and of course i haven't seen it 
Well, I haven't seen many of the Dragon Ball Z movies either. So, like, I, again, I admit, I, I pretty much tapped out after Toonami did their first showing. I Look, m- most of the modern movies are way better than those older movies, honestly. There, there are select few that are that are worth seeing. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Then some of them are just like, oh, the same formula, rinse, repeat with you, fresh coat paint. Okay, but, but as far as the ones I have seen, you know, Resurrection F, Broly, and this, I, I would agree with Colton. I'm, I'm still riding on their Broly high. <laughs> <laughs> so like it, it was just a whole like from just the storytelling like perspective I, I actually saw one of Lum's like tweets like a thread or something and like all of those I, I share all of those thoughts like you pretty much spoke for me <laughs> like as far as like and here's the thing like it, it's a contextual thing because if I had to say as I've said before I really prefer the Dragon Ball stuff segment to the Dragon Ball Z stuff and Super Duper or I mean Super Super anyway I'm just gonna call it Super, super Duper, duper. <laughs> I'm just gonna call it Super Duper, but Super Duper like like carries that spirit really well of what I really like about Dragon Ball, which is like yeah, it's about fighting and you know, and it is genuinely a movie with a lot of heart in it too, and just that it's just flat out silly as well, which is the part of Dragon Ball, the Dragon Ball franchise I really enjoy the most. Of course, yeah, I'm a violent old dinosaur that likes to see two dudes like glow and hit each other in the face, but like <laughs> that's not really my favorite part of Dragon Ball. So the whole convoluted plot of like, okay, we gotta get Gohan to get off his ass by pretending that you've been kidnapped, Pan. Like, the silliness of that was what I really liked about this movie. But if I had to say just as a narrative, yes, Broly, like, knocks it out of the water. And I guess, like you, I don't want to compare it too much both movies either. It's hard not to. Yeah, it's really hard not to. But, I mean, if I had to just, like, I guess I can't really answer your question that much because, like, it depends. <laughs> if, if I'm going in for a movie that's just about pathos and fighting, Broly. But if I want, like, what I like out of the Dragon Ball franchise, super duper. <laughs> so it's like... <laughs> well, I, I think... Yeah. <laughs> I think if you if you like superhero, I think you'll like Battle of Gods. Like, I think that movie is much more up your alley in terms of what you like about Dragon Ball. Okay. Okay, that sounds... That, that, I, I've heard things about, like, um, Battle of Gods that have made me interested in it. It was just like, I just... I guess I just need you guys to track me back into the franchise. <laughs> it's okay, nah. but we'll get to it yeah. eventually. <laughs> but yeah, the answer your, I, I can't really answer your question because it depends on what you like overall. Like what you what you do? I want a movie that's fighting in pathos. Yes, then Broly. But if I want a movie that's just the spirit of Dragon Ball to me personally, this. So like that's yeah. fair. Yeah, it depends. Um, yeah, I guess Lum. How about you? I'm glad we're on the same page of what we appreciate about Broly. Because in the conversations that I see happening about which film is better, Broly and Superhero, I do get annoyed seeing people dismiss Broly as just like all fighting, no substance, you know, just a bunch of visual noise. And I'm like, no, there's to just be so fair, much it's storytelling. A lot of fighting. To- it's a lot of fighting, but the fighting, so much of the storytelling is in the fighting. It I agree. It's like yeah. communicating through the animation it is truly visual storytelling in how that fight plays out and how it develops and escalates yeah and i really appreciate it and like it a lot for that i think that you know if you're comparing like scripts i guess like in terms of like plot 
beats. There is more plot beats in Superhero, but like to say that Broly the second half doesn't have any story in it because it's just like a continuous 45 minute action scene, I think is just pretty uh, dismissive and just not understanding like what is going on in the fighting. And I think, you know, it's fair to have different preferences though in terms of like what you want out of Dragon Ball or what you come to Dragon Ball. And if like you get tired of the fighting, it, it is exhausting like to have that much continuous fighting so i can yeah, understand that's that but when i think about the whole package of a film uh, in terms of like the, how the storytelling is progressing and how things are coming together i still think like yes there's a lot of fighting but also there's a much more cohesive sense of thematic connection between characters there's more of a stronger character arc kind of a real big tension in the fight in terms of the tension of how far is really going to lose himself and is the fight going to escape to the point where Broly is beyond the point of being saved so yeah there's just so much to how the film is constructed that I just so appreciate in comparison like superhero is more focused on the comedy and the characters uh, just interactions and also just being a character spotlight on Piccolo specifically you know oh, going yeah. on, like Toriyama went into this film wanting to write a story about Piccolo and then Toei was like hey can you also put Gohan in here and Toriyama was like sure I think you can tell that in the final movie where it's like you know the focus is on Piccolo and then Gohan is like basically Piccolo's psychic he has to just kind of cajole into do fighting basically you know he has to trick him into fighting and it's funny but like you know the real focus is on Piccolo and I think it's an amazing spotlight you know I went into this film wanting just the Piccolo film his spotlight film as very satisfied with his characterization and with, you know, how his role in the story was developed. And yeah, I was very, very satisfied. I think he had a vel, his power ups were well deserved. You know, you can say that, oh, the dragon just unlocked his potential uh, and whatnot. But it's like, well, because he's consistently been doing the training and been doing the work of like trying to rally everyone together and to solve this problem. So he has earned it narratively. I don't necessarily feel the same way about Gohan, that might be a conversation for later, but I will say that, you know, in terms of character spotlight, this film is the best in terms of focusing on a single character in the form of Piccolo, and I think in terms of giving supporting characters shining moments, I think there's a, a lot of really nice scenes, and I really appreciate in the final fight that most of the characters do have, like, a standout moment that contributes to how that fight plays out, with the exception of Android 18, which very frustrates me, but, uh, you know, We'll talk about that later too. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, I will say, yeah, again, just uh, in terms of what I enjoy about the film, there's, I just really like that it's focused on just specifically exploring one character and how he navigates the situation and brings everyone together to solve it uh, in Piccolo. And I appreciate the comedy, like Toriyama really focusing on character interactions and again, having a self-awareness about the tropes of Dragon Ball and the nature <laughs> of Dragon Ball to make fun of like, oh, well, these characters could solve this problem with the Dragon Balls, but they just have too much pride to it. Oh, couldn't they have just made this wish and figured it out? And it's like, just pointed out and made a joke of. And I think it, that works. 
Schwartz to, to be like, yeah, no, these characters are just have this tunnel vision. So, of course, they'll make mistakes like this. Oh, yeah. For and sure. I think that works. And I think it also works to just, you know, have other jokes of like, oh, Piccolo is <laughs> just small things like him not really holding a phone so awkwardly, like holding yes. it on the top of yes. the yes. and holding it too close to his face when he's doing FaceTime with Bulma. And <laughs> I really want to get this out of the way. Piccolo using a smartphone for me is like peak Dragon Ball comedy. This is this is genuinely the thing I was looking forward to the most. Yes, I, you know, yes. The, the thing that made, yeah, it, that was amazing. Uh, you know the thing that made me laugh the most, though, in the theater? Like, just maybe lose it is when Piccolo is, like, talking to Pan's teacher, and he's like, yeah, Janet, so, you know, the Mr. Satan really just wants to up the security and hire broadcasters. You know, just the, the what made me lose it was just how casually he was talking to Pan's teacher in a way that made it clear that he has picked Pan up so many times for B-School that he's just like <laughs> done this before. He's become fans with Pan Cedar and he's on a first name basis. That's a specific thing that That's made me funny. laugh a lot. Yeah. Is that he's on a first name basis with Janet. <laughs> that was so that was so funny to me that I just lost it at that just small detail. And it's those kind of details, those kind of little interactions with the characters of that uh, that I just love about this film and that I think it does so well in, in terms of understanding the characters and uh, their relationships with each other. And I, again, the, the other strength of the movie is again focusing on Piccolo's relationships with Han and Gohan and how much he truly is a part of the Sun family. Like, one of the things that just made my heart just sore is just seeing on Gohan's desk a family photo where Piccolo is in it. You know, the entire Sun family including Piccolo. And that was just so sweet that, yeah, Piccolo is just an essential part of his family. Like, he's relied on to pick Pan up and take care of her and train her. And not only that, you know, he's still looking out for Gohan and still trying to mentor and encourage him as we see throughout the film with him trying to you know subtly like trick him into like getting out into the action and i you know like from playing along with the scheme to kidnap pan so that could get gohan to finally get away from his research and like actually participate in the action and then later you know choosing to fight cell max on his own and then like just kind of going to the point of exhaustion in a way to also get gohan worked up to the point to get involved in the fight so i just like seeing you know their relationship just explored like that and how he continues to encourage gohan to be better and again how he's you know, mentoring Pan, the bond that he's sharing with Pan, and just like how, like, they kind of team up to play up and work go on up uh, to come out and fight the army. And like, they, you know, Pan playing along with the scheme of being kidnapped and also them, like, kind of staging Pan seemingly being hurt by Piccolo in disguise as the Red Ribbon Army to, like, make Gohan snap and get into his ultimate mode and really get serious in the fight. You know, I, again, I really love those character details. I really love how the dynamic between Pan and Piccolo played out how, again, the relationship between Piccolo and Gohan is reflected, especially, you know, at the, that's cemented at the end, where it's like Piccolo and Gohan, you know, together are <laughs> taking down Cell Max, and it's Gohan finishes him off with Piccolo's signature move, the Makanko Sapo, which is just a, a great reflection of their relationship. I'm so happy that we did that. <laughs> especially the fact that, you know, he, he says, that, oh, I've been practicing it in secret. You know, just the fact that Piccolo continues to inspire, and he continues to look up and want 
want to emulate him. It's just so heartwarming. So again, the central character relationships between Piccolo uh, and Gohan and Pan, I think work really strong. So I uh, absolutely love that about the film. But yeah, it's just to go back into the overall conversation of like whether I, how I rank this to the, amongst the recent Dragon Ball films, I still think Broly in terms of consistency of storytelling uh, and on all its aspects is like, for me, still my favorite. I think that Battle of Gods, you know, as much as I liked a lot of the character work in this film, I will say that nothing in this film works me up emotionally as much as in the fight between Goku and Beerus in Battle of Gods, where Goku is like kind of pushed back to his breaking point in the fight and like just continues the fight when his second screen after losing God mode and takes the fight to Beerus up into space. And he's completely forgotten. He's not even in God mode anywhere, but the fight is just swooned with that intensity. Now we have the hero team insert song playing and the animation in that sequence is just incredible. And yeah, just, I mean, the fight between Goku and Beerus and Mount of Gods is one of my favorites in the franchise. And just those moments that are just really playing up like Goku's frustration of like just not being able to use his own power to continue this fight but then doing it anyway without even realizing it and then getting that second win to knock Beerus's blast that was gonna destroy the earth back you know we're just thinking about all the people who are like relying on him yeah that stuff gets me so much so in terms of like emotional impactful scenes Battle of Gods and also Battle of Gods is just such a celebration of Dragon Ball and is meant to be that with the first being the first Dragon Ball film in like 18 years when it came out and so it's written in a way that's like oh this is a big celebration so that aspect of it also puts it above for me so it does rank beneath Broly and Battle of Gods for me I do think it's better than Resurrection F because Resurrection F you know is just not as impressive in terms of uh, animation and stuff and I again I think that in terms of humor resurrection of it still excels in humor and still excels in like it's it's focus on Frieza but again it's just it doesn't quite have as strong as the character work as a superhero does and certainly does not excel in animation and how the fighting plays out as superhero does so Resurrection F I think is the one movie out of these modern movies where I feel like every time I revisit it I kind of like it less is the thing whereas I feel like every other movie when I revisit them I I, I like them about the same or even more uh, but that's just me with the backlash that has kind of grown for Resurrection F uh, in recent years. I'm aware of... I know I I respect where a lot of the problems people have with it come from, and I definitely can see them. For me, though, I just think the film is still pretty funny and enjoyable with Toriyama's sense of humor, and Frieza is a hoot in the movie. So I think I I still enjoy it. I still yeah, it's think not like a bad you know, when movie. people say, oh, it's one of the worst Dragon Ball, I'm like, no, I would watch this over most of the Dragon Ball Z movies. Yeah. Uh, any day. I still think it's uh, still has way more personality and character to it. I, I would still rather watch Resurrection F over like, oh, which is it? The, the Return of Cooler? Whichever movie has Meta Cooler in it, I would much rather watch Resurrection F over that any day of the week. That's Return of Cooler. Okay, yeah. they, they they both just the the titles the of movie is so movies confusing. are two of the worst, honestly. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. He needs a re I guess a reinvention, kind of like Broly. I guess as the second most prominent movie character. I would be I would be kind of up for that because I I feel like this is a whole other tangent. I promise we'll get into back to superhero in a bit, but I really do feel like. 
out of any character that you could like reinvent, I, I feel like Frieza's brother should be like a much cooler character than he actually is, is the thing. I ironically enough. Yeah. <laughs> I mean he should live up to his name. You yeah, know? I was just about to say his name's cooler and he's not cool. That's disappointing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I genuinely I genuinely would be up for seeing like how they could reinvent cooler. But so superhero is beneath Broly and Battle Augusti, but I do you think it's better than Resurrection F? I think for me, like, this is going to be one of those things where, like, depending on what day you ask me, I might say Battle of Gods is better, or I might say Superhero is better. To me, they're both a very similar kind of movie that have the kind of thing I, I want from a Dragon Ball movie nowadays. Yeah, I, I honestly feel Battle of Gods, Resurrection F, and Superhero have a similar tone to them yeah. in terms of their humor. Yeah, that's true. And I think in particular, uh, Res F and Superhero have a lot of similarities in terms terms of humor in terms of character spotlight and use of sporting cast and stuff like that but i think again like where superhero shines is that it has more of a consistent focus on the relationship between characters and you know really showing off like the development of one character and piccolo in particular whereas like res f kind of ends up kind of like being a little more disjointed in terms of like well we're focusing on one group of characters to start with and then goku and vegeta show up and then it kind of goes on from there so it's not as focused and connected to specific characters and how they're growing throughout the film in the same way for sure um superhero i think we can all agree is good and i mean Look, if you're a fan of Dragon Ball at all, like you will get something out of this movie, and I, I think it's definitely worth the watch, especially if you are a Piccolo fan. If you're a Piccolo fan, you will be eating good with this movie. <laughs> yeah, no, this is the Dragon Ball story that Piccolo fans have been waiting for, and uh, I think most people will come out of this very pleased with that. Go on fans, I think most Go on fans I see have really appreciated this but i feel like i don't know i don't think this film shows gohan in the best of lights for most of the movie he kind of has the narda syndrome of like losing himself in his work to the extent of ignoring his family and i feel like eh, he has to kind of be tricked by piccolo to kind of get involved in the, the conflict yeah <laughs> multiple times yes they get get manipulated to get worked up and to, to the point where he's more capable in the fight so like, Gohan in this movie reminds me of, like, all those dads and, like, a, a lot of, like, those 90s movies where, like, it's about, like, oh, the dad that, like, is too consumed with this work and, like, won't ever spend time with his kids or whatever. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's one of the weaknesses. Uh, if they're, like, that's a missed opportunity slash weakness of the movie is that I think that, you know, even though the movie does a good job of showing the relationship between Piccolo and Pan and Piccolo and Gohan, it doesn't really do that great a job of showing the relationship between Pan and Gohan. It's serviceable. And especially for something <laughs> that is, like, made a note of, of, like, Pan wondering, oh, is my dad really that strong? And, like, this detail of, like, well, Gohan's not really being in Pan's life as much. And you see that she is kind of sad that, like, she often is, like, the last person to get picked up from school because, you know, her parents are busy and whatnot. And often, so she relies on Piccolo. So I think that we kind of needed more of a focus of, like, yeah, how Pan is, like, feeling about Gohan, kind of ignoring her for his work and then have more of a focus on also Gohan coming to realize no I need to be a part of Pan's life more I think that Gohan kind of gets off in the movie with that aspect not addressed so it becomes more about Pan seeing that yeah no her dad is strong but 
but we needed to see Gohan come to the realization that, you know, I am focusing too much on my work to not the detriment of, you know, my training being the burden thing, but to the detriment of like my relationship with my family and others who, who need me in their lives. So I think that's kind of what they really should have tried to emphasize and build a stronger character arc for yeah gohan doesn't really like learn a lesson about that at all no, he just, so he doesn't have a character arc he just is really. like <laughs> he just has to be reminded yeah you gotta get serious in this fight but like even at the end it almost feels like oh gohan has been keeping in between he's been learning the mekanko sapo so he's been secretly like, training it's all not like around. so he just what what room does he have to grow? Even though he gives lip service to the idea that, oh, you need to focus on your training, be more serious. And there are a lot of points in the movie that point out Gohan, his skills go rusty because he can't even recognize Piccolo's key when he's disguised as a red ribbon soldier when Van can. So, you know, it's a little confusing in terms of the messaging of like what he was supposed to learn from this experience, what his character growth or could be. And ultimately, it doesn't really feel like he has one, which makes his, again, transformation and power up feel uh, a lot more unearned, especially when how hard it tries to call back to of course his iconic super saiyan true transformation visually so it's it's like yeah gohan's arc or gohan's like role movie i had a lot of mixed feelings about it so it really is the piccolo show no for sure um I feel like we haven't given Sakaki much of a chance to talk about the movie. Mm-hmm, sorry. No, no, it's fine. We got two Waku Waku Sudoso. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know I made a tweet, like, that I would watch an entire movie of Piccolo holding his cell phone daintily. Like, <laughs> like that That pretty much was, like, I loved every scene of him just... I like that this just came off as almost like a silly sitcom and, like, just how... <laughs> yeah. How the plot, like... Because he, you know, if Piccolo really wanted to, he could have dragged Gohan out of that room and be like, get your ass in gear, we're gonna go fight some guys. <laughs> but the fact that they went with this whole convoluted plan of, like, everything... And I do like the fact that, like, Pan was never really in danger. Yeah, now that was a great subversion. Yeah, like, there was, like... She's the reason why they're, you know, going to fight these guys, but she could have left at any time, and, and I do like that. Yeah. I mean, and we... I don't think we talked too much about, like, the, I guess, quote-unquote villains of the movie. We haven't really talked about Red Ribbon at all. No. Yeah, I, yeah. Like, I actually kind of like the fact that there was... I mean, it was very on the nose, but I like the fact that they had, like, Gamma 1 and 2. You know, at first, when we first see, like, I think it's 2? Yeah. I think uh, when yeah. we first see 2, you know, he comes off as, like, a nor- another silly, like, kind of Dragon Ball villain in the way that he, you know, fights Piccolo and doesn't check his work. <laughs> and <laughs> he's, he's new here. <laughs> so, like, and I like that, you know, we had the silly sound, like... I love that the pickle was like, wait, are those sound effects? Am I seeing those? <laughs> Am I seeing- yeah, that was a great <laughs> guy. So like, good. I, I, they had those things, but I like the central conflict with them being kind of like, you know, they they really are supposed to encompass what superheroes are to Dr. Um, Hedo. Hedo, yes. Dr. Hedo. I, I kind of like that they are conflicted on that. They, they are trying to do the... They, were built to do the right thing and it's just built upon these lies that they were told by you know um dr shoot magenta yeah by magenta um by yeah the son of um i always commander it, it, red? red red yes yeah red you could tell he's his son because he's short yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like that, and of course the fact that that even that's a thing that that's a callback from the original, and I like that they don't. It's all a thing that nobody really reacts to how short he is. It's just. 
there. Yeah, it's, they don't really <laughs> revisit that gag, but it's like clearly just a nice visual gag of like, now nah, he's like standing on his steps. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I like that that's just very, very subtle. Yeah. It's not a retread of, uh, you know, the gags with Commander Red. Like, he and his assistant Carmine have a different dynamic. And Carmine has his own quirks that are much different than Black's and how proud he is of, like, his own, like, presentations <laughs> that he's, like, has written, directed by Carmine. It's a Carmine presentation. And he, like, laughs whenever, like, you know, Magenta is kind of making a mess of himself. Like, in the opening scene, where he's, like, spilling his tea all over himself. And it's like, he, like, chuckles at him. So they have more of a playful chemistry than, like, how irritated and hostile, like, Red was to Black over him being much taller than him yeah how black yeah. was like super silently resentful of red i need to put this out there too i think my favorite gag in this entire movie has to be the fact that the car that carmine drives because he has such a big like pompadour he has his he has a dome in his car to make room for his hair that's the funniest gag in this movie to me <laughs> it's great <laughs> so good and like the little bobblehead magenta has <laughs> it has on like his <laughs> His dashboard is really funny too. Yeah, like I mean, I loved all of that, but like definitely the Gamas were my one of my favorite parts of the movie, and just that yeah, they you were know, fun. But- the Gamas are great characters, particularly Gama too. Uh, Zena Robinson's performance as them in the dub, especially, I thought was super great. Like Vix was pointing out that like he plays a similar type character in the Owl House, not in terms of like personality, but in terms of kind of backstory. Oh, um, Hunter, I think is yeah, one of those. yeah, so, I know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, so I think that was interesting casting there, and of course, Maroon Mia also did a great performance of him as the sub. Yeah, that, that, of course, yeah, since I saw the sub, I got Mamoru Miyano and Hiroshi Kamiya, so it was interesting hearing Law as like... <laughs> yeah, it's more less of a commercial and sour, but it's more of like an expressive funny guy. Yeah. Something that makes me sad about not being able to see this subbed yet is the fact that technically Tomokazu Sugita is in this movie yes. as Lemo, <laughs> yes. and, I, and I haven't had to hear him yet. <laughs> Yes, like you know, you yeah, you miss Shoyo and Gintoki because like um oh yeah, that's right. Be- yeah, isn't Beerus like uh Beerus Yamadera? is voiced by Koichi Yamadera? Yeah, yeah. His performance as Beerus is always great. I I haven't actually heard of Beerus before, so like that would be Jason Douglas. I think is his name. Like his his performance in the dub's always good too. And one thing that I guess that. Uh, uh, for sure that um, I really wanted to go see the dub is because Charles Martinet is like magenta, right? Yeah, fucking Mario himself. Yeah, Mario <laughs> is in the movie, and that's that. That's why it was so. Di- I almost like wanted to go see the dub at first because, like, especially since I was having trouble finding a decent time for this sub. But then, you know, I know that for most part when we're on the show discussing things, and I know I made I treated this like a homework assignment, and I regret that. <laughs> <laughs> but like, um, like yeah, so I what that was my thing. And and I kind of forgot he was in the movie until like I was going to see on my literally on my way to the theater, and I was like, "Oh shit, yeah, that's right, Martin. It's in the dub. I could have gone to see that." I thought his performance was good too. Yeah. Yeah. No, his performance was fantastic, especially the slight Italian accent he gave him. <laughs> I really loved that at the premiere for superhero where all the uh, all the dub actors got together. I loved that he dressed up as his character. That was yeah. fucking great. <laughs> that was like, like he had the same like actual magenta colored suit and everything. Like he he had drip. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's so awesome! Like, yeah, that's the one thing. Like, if I can see this again before they at least theaters, I will definitely try to sit down with the dub. I'd say it's worth it. Yeah. 
yeah, I, yeah. Overall, though, like I just like the conflict between the gammas and like being told, okay, you know, it, it, it got to a point where Pan was like nearly in actual danger, and then you're like, no, they, they drew the line, and they're just like, no, we, that's it. That, that was good. I yeah. actually really, really like the those moments and everything between the gammas. I like Gamma 2's line there, particularly in the dub, where it's like, I got new intel on who the real villains are. You know, I really that was good. I thought yeah. that was good delivery. I feel like actually. Though, with their character conflict, I, I kind of wish that had been explored a little more. Because it really was just mostly in their fight with Piccolo and Gohan that was really being brought up. And especially because in the earlier scene where, like, Magenta and Hedo are talking about, like, their big plans with Cell Max and stuff, I kind of wish, like, you had them more uncertain and uneasy about that rather than... I mean, I appreciated the them goofing off in the background. That was really fun. But it feels like they were, like, super oblivious to them obviously talking about using Cell Max to take over the world. Like, literally, like, they're having that conversation it's like you're in earshot of that you know should you know maybe react and maybe feel uncertain they're, they're too busy they're too busy having banter off screen yeah <laughs> i mean on screen we're seeing them have banter and playing around with each other like i like the guy of two like leading on one and trying to like make plans with him to like have super cool entrances and stuff like that and uh, you know and i think you know background character interaction gags i think were a really strong part of the movie uh did a lot to add extra characterization but yeah again with the gammas i think we needed just more time with them to like explore how their character, how they feel about being a part of the army. Like we see them interact, like we see Gamma 2 kind of be like court, like friendly with like just soldiers at the base when he's flying back there. And so sets the tone like he feels at home there and he knows the people there. But it's like, you know, how do they really see themselves and what, how do they really see what the army is trying to do? Like they see it them as opposition to like the capsule corporation's supposed cabal of like aliens and stuff like that. But you know, do they really truly trust the, them? And like, do they re- have more misgivings? Like, they don't really react that much to the plan to kidnap Pan, except in the battle when Gohan's like pointing out, you know, it's kind of messed up. So again, we just needed to explore that point of like them being superheroes and be conflicted of what they're doing more. Yeah, this is this is kind of my biggest issue with the movie. Joking, but not really. Is um, I like Gamma One and Gamma Two. They're such fun characters, but the problem is, for one, I kind of feel like we don't. Don't get enough time with them. And also, I do agree with what you're saying. That, that that was something I really wanted to bring up with this movie in particular while we were talking about it. Because, you know, there's a there's a point later on in the movie where they are fighting Cell Max and Gamma 2 basically does like a big hero sacrifice. And I'm not going to say it wasn't cool because it was. But unfortunately, I feel like because we don't spend enough time emphasizing like, you know, how they feel about associating with the Red Ribbon Army and we don't spend enough time with them maybe like kind of doubting what they're doing and what purpose they're serving like i think we needed more time with that kind of stuff because honestly i really feel like gamma 2's big sacrifice as cool as it looked it fell flat for me emotionally unfortunately even the second time when i watched it i was just kind of like oh this is cool but like i don't feel connected enough to these characters unfortunately for this to have the effect they wanted it to have on me i did feel for Gamma 2, but yeah, it wasn't as strong as like the sacrifice should have come across. Because we again we didn't have that much time with the character. We got enough time to like him, but not enough time to like feel devastated to see him sacrifice himself and like flayed away in the wind. Yeah. I, I thought about this more after the second time I watched the movie because like they could have had more time in the movie, but like we get enough Goku and Vegeta stuff in this movie to the point where I kind of felt like 
This movie kind of pulls a bio Broly where it's like Goku and Vegeta are not in this movie very much, except I feel like I really wish they would have done the same thing that bio Broly did where it's like Goku and Vegeta are not in this movie until like the very last post credit mm-hmm, scene, which yeah. I know I can understand like why they wouldn't want to do that because I feel like they'd probably piss a lot of fans off. But at the same time, and it's not for the trailer. Yeah, like I, I really wish I really wish the time that we spent with Goku and Vegeta could have been used to develop Gamma 1 and Gamma 2 as characters a lot more. Yeah, we completely agree. I absolutely agree. I think we do not need that scene of Goku and Vegeta and Beerus' plan. It really has nothing to do with the rest of the movie. You know, it's fun to check in with Broly, Chilai, Lemo and see them like meet Beerus and Weiss and, you know, find a new home there. But that entire scene did not need to be in this movie could have been in a different story and the fight between Goku and Vegeta you know we didn't even need to see that fight for as much as we did see of it and obviously we didn't see the full fight and it thought it ultimately amounts to a funny gag of like Vegeta beating Goku <laughs> and the, but the no like most like go Reese Beerus and Chile were just bored by it like Beerus literally is so dozing off but Broly and Lemo are like bawling manly tears <laughs> they just moved by the what they had witnessed and that's that's great to see the, the economy of those inter, like reactions to but the that's fight that's really there. all you need though and uh yeah that's, that's all you need that's exactly all you need like the only purpose like checking in on them serves is like okay this is why they're not responding to Bulma's cop but we don't even need to see that right we don't we only needed like kind of the explanation at the end like the reason why they weren't answering her call is because like Goku and Vegeta were having a fight and Weez's staff was covered up so he wasn't paying attention to it so we don't need like a five plus minute scene of just focusing on them that's a complete detour from the main part of the movie that kind of stops in his tracks and really messes up the pacing of it. It would have been much funnier if, like, maybe, you know, Bulma's trying to call Whis and everyone else to try to, like, ask for help. But maybe we could have waited until, like, the very end of the movie to find out, like, why they're not answering. So that way you can kind of maybe get people curious, like, oh, no, what are Goku and Vegeta doing? Why aren't they answering? What's going on? Like, I, I would have liked it if they built up to that. Yeah, it could have been funny to have just had the reveal be that way. Yeah, like, instead yeah. of, like, showing. I mean, there were fun interactions between characters in that scene. But, uh, yeah, it just did not really need to be in the movie. It didn't add to the main story. Anyway. Not really. Yeah, like, we like, even the com- no, no. I was just gonna say even the conversation they had, which I guess could kind of serve to be like, all right, this is still in the Broly continuity, you know, like a little bit of their speaking. Like even that, they really didn't need to be necessary. We could address that in another movie. But I mean, I also agree with you that the reveal could have just been, and maybe they just cut that whole scene, and then they just at the end after the post credits, like Goku and Vegeta are just like tired, and that's all we get. You know, as you said, that we is revealed that they were fighting. That's why I missed it, and I. I feel like that would have been even funnier if we didn't see them at all. We just got this whole epic fight that was completely off screen. <laughs> and but that definitely would have pissed off fans, though. <laughs> it would have. Yeah. And also, like, Vegeta thinking about, oh, Jiren was so efficient in the way he's moving, so now I'm going to practice to emulate that. First off, I feel like in the animation that wasn't super communicated very well. Like, Beast is like saying, oh, his movements are subtly different. But I'm like, you know, compared to Broly, where I could really tell how a character fights, the, what, what they're thinking about when they're fights. Like, I did not really get a sense of that at all in the 
snippet of the Goku reunified here, but also like it feels like at odds with the whole point of like Vegeta's ultra ego transformation in the manga. And this is the problem with like this movie is like written, been written and been in development for you know even before Broly came out. So before even like the Moro arcs and the Granola arcs were written. So I feel like well does that really line up with the progression of how Vegeta has chosen to go in the manga. Uh, so that's kind of a weird thing. And also, but I will say like the choice to like move Broly to Beerus's planet so that Frieza can find him does line up with things that are happening in the manga. So that worked out. But like, that's another weird thing of like, how are these storylines being playing together? Because again, these movies are being written independently of how the manga is progressing. How are they going to tie themselves back in into like one continuity? Are they even going to do that? That's something that just kind of, I'm wondering about it because it is definitely going to affect like the future like what where's the story going next in the broader franchise so maybe that's why they're kind of taking a break from the manga for a little while to also figure out okay where's the where's the story of dragon ball going next but that's a minor thing but you know just in the broader you know scope of things with this scene on beerus's planet and how it affects the pacing in the movie uh that's kind of just another problem i had with it is just that i feel like the pacing does kind of drag at points and particularly where i feel like it drags is that there's a lot of scenes that are focused on exposition and characters explaining especially like, in the, the beginning plot of yeah. beats to each other and describing things to each other like yeah the opening scene with you know magenta talking to Hedo, it goes on for a pretty long time and we have a lot of characterization in that scene that uh, lets us know the personality of the characters that i appreciate but like the main information of that is just like kind of repeating to us stuff that as viewers of Dragon Ball we should know and then a lot of that information is repeated again when Piccolo has like kind of incognito like kind of snuck into their meeting and like it's basically here's the entire spill over again so there's like redundancy in the exposition being repeated and like I feel like we could have just cut out the scene of like Magenta intercepting Dr. Kato and just have the characters be introduced in the scene of Piccolo getting to the army base and then meeting, seeing them for the first time and then we could have all the personality, all the like kind of backstory for this characters just set up in that scene uh, and that would have like reduced kind of redundancy of the exposition and then maybe allowed more scenes to have for actually showing off fleshing out the characters a little more uh, and then again there are a lot of various small scenes in this movie where it's like the characters are stopping and just like hey remember when that thing happened happen or just trying to describe what's going on in the plot to each other and i feel like that kind of brings the pacing to a halt in a way that previous movies i feel like avoided like especially broly there was like maybe one small scene of like letting people know hey this is where we're at the story now but otherwise like we mostly just see the story progress and then the same is true with like res up we have like one scene catching freeze up to speed and then you know it's just like the story is still going and uh, same with battle of gods you know so I feel like this movie kind of really suffered in exposition like previous movies. No, I, I agree. Like both times I saw this movie in theaters, I genuinely kind of had a hard time like trying to keep up with all the exposition in the beginning because the first like five minutes of the movie probably spend a lot of time trying to like catch you up on the Red Ribbon Army. and Yeah, like the first two minutes specifically is like just a recap of the Red Ribbon Army. And I mean, it Cell looks Arts. good. Don't get me wrong. But like they have to recap like stuff from the original series and then they have to introduce you to these new characters and justify like, oh, how they connect to the original material it's a lot to keep up with genuinely yeah and i feel like they probably shouldn't have tried so hard they should have just kind of trusted the audience to know these things and not dwell on it as much i feel 
Yeah. I think they, again, they are trying to make it accessible, but that's the problem of like making the story so connected to plot events in the manga. But even then, I don't think it's that necessarily to know all that context. Yeah, not really. You know, there are some details in the, well, describing the arc where it's like, oh, and then Android 17 killed Dr. Garrow. Well, you know, Android 17 doesn't show up in the movie. No, So not you don't at need all. to cut back to that twice to establish that okay, character. Okay, hold on. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. You, you just reminded me of something else I really wanted to point out there are a couple times in this movie where like when they're referring to past events and then like you see them like happen on screen and the characters in the flashback react to like what the characters are saying i love those details so much (laughs) i did like that i did like that a lot like especially like the moment where like they're talking about like oh dr garrow like he created these androids but then we kind of destroyed him yeah we see dr garrow like kind of free actors like ah (laughs) <laughs> I, think, yes. I think the smirk that Android 17 also gives when Dr. General reacts like that is also suddenly very funny. Android 17 is looking at the screen like, you know what I'm about to do. Yeah, <laughs> that, that was pretty funny. But again, like because we already had that established, it's like, do we need to see that again? And those are kind of just the problems I had. And also, again, just a general sense of like, hey, remember when this happened? I, I'm never really a fan when like a movie or a story goes out of the way to to remind you of things that have happened in the past, especially when it's like playing on nostalgia in a way of like, I like seeing old things. Like I like seeing Piccolo use his giant transformation technique again. Yes, that was one of my favorite moments too, where it's just like, Krillin's like, remember when you grew that one time? And he's like, oh yeah, I forgot. And basically turned it into a giant kaiju paddle. You know, that was awesome. But, you know, I, again, like having moments where like, oh, remember when this happened or remember this? Like that, those are things that I feel take me out of the movie because it's like, okay, yeah, I, I, yes, I do remember that. Don't, don't try so hard. No, that, that moment was really funny because like I, I feel like there's so many times throughout the franchise where like Piccolo remembers that he has these abilities and he's kind of like, oh, yeah, I could do that. Like that always <laughs> makes me laugh, especially with like the stretchy arms and him growing giant. Like I, I thought those were at least kind of funny for me personally. I, but like, yeah, yeah, I thought it was the funnier part of that is like after he's trans he's grown into his giant form like Gohan has wow that's really cool like you gotta be strong enough to beat it now and Piccolo's like uh no it's this doesn't make me stronger at all it's just a bluff and Gohan's <laughs> like what really <laughs> yeah I think that's <laughs> that was the part that was really great I kind of kind of wonder though like for when when Krillin says that specifically since we're on the note of like bringing up past things because like technically I, I would have think that most people who came in through Z probably wouldn't know that Goku and Piccolo fought <laughs> Probably not. So I mean, like this throughout the entire movie, like the gammas are referring to Piccolo as Demon King Piccolo, and the dub just King Piccolo, but like they're calling him Piccolo Daimao in the, in the Japanese, and it's like yeah, so it's it's like referencing oh this is the Piccolo he was before. And there's a lot of moments in the movie where characters are referencing oh Piccolo used to be a Kami, and then oh he used to do this, and you know, so it's like you know I, I feel like yeah, yeah I, I do remember that, but it's you also are not really building on that really in a, in a meaningful way. Well, what's what's really funny to me about that specifically is that th- this movie goes out of its way to like, you know, remind you of like stuff from the franchise. But when it comes to like, you know, uh, talking about like Piccolo and like how he's in his like history of fusion with like Nail and Kami, like Gamma 2 like asks about that. And he's like, ooh, do tell. And Piccolo's just like, uh, I don't feel like explaining it. Do, do your own research. Like that. that's, <laughs> I love how they draw the line there. Like, ah, oh, we're not going to explain all that. Like, <laughs> yeah. 
So it's it's also pick and choosy, like, I guess, what they go into. But I mean, I do, in terms of that, I did kind of like the subtle, like, kind of interaction of, like, Corrin calling Piccolo Kami, because obviously Corrin had a long relationship with Kami in terms yeah. of, like, working together with him. So, you know, I, I think you get some a sense of melancholy that he is, like, still thinking of the combined Piccolo Kami as, like, so Kami. And there's a little bit of, yeah, kind of a sadness to that. So it's, it's just a small moment. So there are, like, again, small moments using exposition or callbacks that I really like but in general I feel like they break the pace of the movie you know what makes me sad that like probably no one else cares about I'm kind of sad that Yajirobe doesn't get any lines in this movie yeah that's a weird thing because Mayumi Tanaka is doing Krillin like why can't she also do some lines as Yajirobe I think again in terms of video gags it's funny that Yajirobe's just like eating his skewer and then he like picks his ass with the the pick It's just, you know, there's this funny character animation uh, with Yajirobe, but it's so weird he doesn't, like, talk at all. Yeah, he kind of, like, grunts and sighs, oh, breathes a little yeah. bit, and that's it. <laughs> Isn't that, yeah, that, I did find that really weird. I, I was fully expecting him to talk, too, and then he did. I was just like, huh, okay. I wonder if Mayumi Tanaka just didn't feel like recording any more lines after Krillin. I mean, yeah. she has gone on record lately to say that she's just done with, like, doing guy roles and everything, and she actually is, like, Luffy will be her last one. She's yeah. straight out she, She's just like, now. look, I'll, I'll do Krillin every once in a while. But that's as much as you're going to get me for. <laughs> I don't know. I think, yeah, it's like Luffy's going to be my last, like, role. And once Luffy's done, I'll retire, basically. That's fair. Yeah. Well, she's probably never retiring, then. <laughs> well, we'll see. Come on. But, yeah, I mean, honestly, no. She can't, like, even when One Piece ends, the franchise One Piece is not going to be over. They're still going to be, they'll still need it's her to reprise the role for games. It's very honestly. And uh, revivals. So it's like, yeah, I don't think you're ever going to be done with Luffy. I'm yeah, afraid. no. Not, they I have don't. to get her back for One Piece GT. I mean, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, you would think that since she's so close to Nozawa, that Nozawa could tell her, "Yeah, you're not done until One they say you're GLT, done." One Piece GLT Grand Line Tour. <laughs> like, you, I, you would think Nozawa would just pat her on the back and be like, "You're not done. You're never no. done." <laughs> Even from beyond the grave, they'll bring you back. God. Or as more likely, they're going to use like AI technology to recreate your voice. Jesus. I mean, um, I guess I guess to be fair, Nozawa's like still very, very enthusiastic about voicing Goku, so like there. Yeah, she still seems that. to be enjoying herself. No, she still got it. She's still able to do Goku, Gohan, and Goten all very well. Yeah, and so, make them all sound so, distinct. Can I can I talk about that for a second? Sure. Like yeah. okay, so as somebody who has only ever really watched the dub, I guess the stuff I've watched has had one like one or two of them, so I'm aware of it. But I've like it's only now that it really hit me that she voices all of them. <laughs> she's all the male members of the Stone family. She, you and know, Bardock. she's also Bardock. Yep. You know, so. Yeah, I mean, like, these are things I knew, but I never really conceptualized them because I've only, you know, I've only watched a smattering of, like, DB stuff subbed. Like, besides, obviously, all of Dragon Ball. So I knew of that. But it's only this movie where we had all three of them in it that I'm like, oh, wow, yeah, she really does do that. And yeah, she does a good job of making them pretty distinct as much as possible. That's not even bringing up her performances as both Turles and Goku Black yeah. as well. Yeah. And also, like, this is my first time really hearing Dende. Like, I didn't realize that was Aya uh, Hirano. So, like, uh, Nobume herself. <laughs> so, like, there's a lot. So, we got Gintoki and Nobume and Shoyo. So, you know, all we need is Zura and Tagasugi and something. I would fucking <laughs> love to hear Akira Ishida in Dragon Ball. That'd be great. 
I think he'd do a great job. But yeah, like, I guess it's just me realizing that there is a lot of sub-Dragon Ball I haven't actually seen. <laughs> so, oh, oh, like, oh, yeah. hold on. Sakaki, uh, speaking of Gintama connections, technically Noria Wakaboto was in this? True, I that's mean, true. Yeah. All he did was scream, and that kind of let me... That was a letdown. <laughs> <laughs> Toriyama had a fun, like, comment about that, where he's like, oh, uh, you know, Cell Max, uh, he's like, big his garish scars you know he just screams a lot i feel bad for the voice actor especially since he's such a a clean reputable voice actor that i just had it he's also so old at this point too yeah Yeah. like because you don't see wako you don't hear wakamoto in a lot of stuff nowadays so like i mean i just kind of figure he you know he's kind of stepping back from the mic a lot now but i really like you know i knew he was cell even though i have heard very little of him as cell but like yeah that was really disappointing me because like i did look up the cast before going into the movie so i I knew he was in it and I was just like yo Wakamoto and then all he did was scream for 20 minutes and I'm like oh yeah Cell Max is basically Bio Broly again yeah I will say you know Toriyama always wanted to give second form Cell a bigger role so I'm glad he was literally able to do that with this movie (laughs) literally yeah (laughs) yeah I I don't really have anything to say about Cell Max he's a big he's a big guy to beat he's a big monster no he's just a big monster he's like just an extension of Magenta's plan. So, you know, Magenta's like the real villain. So Max is just like the brute force that is like encapsulating that. So, you know, it's fine. He doesn't have like a personality. He's just like a big monster. He somehow has even less personality than the original Cell. Yeah. Oh, I mean, my. Yeah, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm sorry, Sakaki. I forgot that you like Cell. I'm sorry. I Cell is great in his imperfect forms. When he gets perfect, that's when he gets boring. I don't want to. I don't want this to be a whole other thing. I'm just going to get this out of the way. Cell, I think. I think he's a fine character. But the thing is, I feel like Norio Wakamoto is the thing that, like, his performance in the original series is the thing that gives him personality. Both in the yeah, his performance both in. In the original Japanese and in the English dub is like what makes the character memorable and gives him like okay. the air I mean, of menace yeah. and gravitas that like makes him like just such a like formidable feeling villain. I, I mean, uh, to be fair, as much as I do like Cell, I know he is a step down from Frieza for sure, and like, uh, yeah, and like, definitely not as interesting as Boo. I mean, he's l- bummed like, Frieza. I, like, <laughs> 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 I mean, like, I, to be fair, I like the Cell arc more than the character himself. No, I, I, that's I understand that. Yeah, yeah. So that's it's fair. not it's not like Cell himself. Like, I mean, yeah, go ahead and shit on Cell. I don't care. <laughs> but, like, oh, but like, uh, sure, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I know we'll have plenty of fun when we get to that arc, but oh, like, boy. or like, yeah, but like, it's the arc itself that the storytelling arc is something I like more than. I mean, I agree. Cell himself isn't really anything important, and I can't wait to actually sit down and watch the arc in Japanese. Like, it's funny because like coming back from CRX, like Jekka and I just got to the Cell arc in the abridged, and that has been a lot of fun. <laughs> like, we haven't finished, but like, we're like, because she's taking now that she, fin- I, I've mentioned the Colton that now she's watched Dragon Ball for the first time herself like a few months ago and so she's like okay now i've done this now i can watch your bridge with a brand new perspective that i didn't have because she's the only the only um experience she had with dragon ball was the bridge so like now we've been watching the whole bridge and i haven't seen the bridge much at all other than clips here or there so like now we're watching that whole thing together and definitely like it's an experience rewatching it this way and
and seeing Cell Max now and knowing that it was Wakamoto, I, I mean, again, I was kind of disappointed he needed to do much, but I agree with Lum that, it, like, he didn't really need to. Yeah, and as a big monster, like, Cell Max, you know, was pretty cool and, and formidable looking. Like, I like the scene where he's, like, shooting off lasers from all, like, the holes in his from body. From all of his spots, that yeah. That was pretty uh, cool. And, like, yeah, I mean, because he's a giant monster, the scale of, like, them fighting it is impressive. I like that he has kind of, like, this little bludgeon on his tail now that oh, he also that creeped uses. Me out. And he actually uses his wings. Oh, that freaked me out too. Ugh. Yeah, when he's like actually fluttering them like a real insect. It's Ugh. like, wow. Yeah, that's like Cell previously, you know, he might have flexed his wings, but he never really used it like <laughs> for the actual intended purpose. So Yeah, I don't I don't think he used them a single time. Yeah. Yeah, no, that was pretty interesting to see. I, yeah, so. As far as final fights go, that one was actually pretty good. Yeah, I mean what I liked about the fight is again, like there is a sense of progression. Unlike regular Cell, he can't Cell Max can't just regenerate. He has a clear weak point. So like you know, like, okay, every hit matters. And like there's a clear sense of drive like okay, this is what we got to do to beat this villain. And so, and again, I like that a lot of different characters contributed to landing the defeat on Cell. And like, one of the great things about it is that Gotenks' failed fusion, This is they make a point about this, like, this is the first time a failed fusion actually is useful in dealing damage. Because like, Gotenks lands like the first big blow on Cell Max's head. Uh, that made me laugh it. so hard. That was great. That was that was a wonderfully used character. I love in general that the movie goes out of its way to not give you hot teen Gotenks. That was really yeah. Yeah, yeah, like because they're doing the fusion dance and presumably do it perfectly at the end, but we don't see perfect Gotenks. So no. that's, that's a nice tease there. You know, one of the weird things about Gotenks is that in this movie, Trunks is sporting blue hair, but Gotenks still is has black and pink hair. And I'm like... <sighs> Well, this is an inconsistent design, Tori. I make up your mind whether you want uh, Trunks I, to have uh, yeah, blue we, we hair or pink hair. We just gotta get over it. We just gotta get over it. End of Z. He has pink hair, so like, why, uh. why the clip back and forth now? Um, but yeah, you know, well, I guess Teen Trunks is gonna have blue hair henceforth. But uh, yeah, I'm glad that they finally aged him up, though, too. Uh, yeah, know, that was yeah, older. Like that. that's been yeah. long overdue, especially the longer we've gone on in this timeline closer to where the end of Z is supposed to be. But yeah, no, again, like I like how a lot of different characters contributed to the progression of this fight. Like Krillin actually has some good moments. Like he uses the Taioken to blind cell to buy some knife for people to get away as Gamma 2 is like charging back in. Gamma 2, even though he doesn't land the finishing blow on Cell, like he damages him in a very clear, obvious way, not just like his arm is like been torn off, his right arm but like tire parts of his body are like starting to like kind of grow gray and like dust over as like they've been damaged so severely and Piccolo makes no like yeah because he lost a lot of power thanks to Gamma 2 damaging in that way and yeah again Piccolo and Gohan really needed the teamwork to Piccolo holding Cell down while Gohan prepared and fired the finishing blow with a Makako Sapo so again I like that the fight and taking that so much involved the contributions of a lot of different characters uh, which brings me to my big complaint is that Android 18 contributed nothing and I'm like why was yeah, she even there then you know I'm already bothered that like okay well you reference 17 by name so if you're gonna bring back 18 bring back 17 too like they should be more in contact now he's too busy being a park ranger but if he can participate in the Moro arc, like surely you can get back in contact with him now he's not as like aloof nah, and off on his own nah. 
But like, you know, it is a funny moment when Bulma's like, hey, I brought all the Earth's strongest warriors. And we just see this ragtag group of people come out. Oh, and Krillin and too. About everyone. Yeah. Yeah, but Bulma was fucking ragging on Krillin a lot in this movie. I mean, he was acting cowardly and not participating in the fight at first. Like saying, oh, no, I'll hang back and I'll protect Bulma. Well, he is a cop. So that tracks. It, it does track, but what doesn't, you know, but then he contradicts that by like, uh, going like, oh no, everyone's really contributing, so I gotta get out there and do battle too. And Bulma's like, oh, uh, hey, don't die, okay? And gives us a little thumbs up. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so, but yeah, you know, Krillin actually, again, he contributed to the fight in a big way, which I like, but I, I'm very frustrated that 18 did not have a big moment where she visibly contributed to the fight in Meaningful. I don't even know if we see her land any good blows on Cell. Like, even before they fuse, like, we see Goten fire a Kamehameha on Cell. We see Trunks do some blasts, but we don't really see 18 land any blows. I think she fires a few. I don't remember. I think she fired some key blasts, but... Yeah, but we don't really see them land or, like, Cell react really, to them. No. And it's like... Yeah, yeah. That's that frustrated me. Can I just say real quick, going back to the Goku and Vegeta stuff, um, you know, as, as much as I would have been okay with not having that stuff in this movie, as much as it was, I do, <laughs> I really love that, like, Beerus just has a thing for Chi-Li now. That that was the most shocking part of the movie for me. That was funnier than, I knew that that he was going to show attraction to Chi-Li going in from, like, hearing spoilers. But, like, you know, the actual execution of it was much funnier than I thought it would be. Like, I thought, oh, are we going to get some tired Toriyama pervy stuff again but no it's like much more subtle than that where like Beerus is just like looking at Chi-Li staring at her a little bit and then it's like oh I like you you can stay and like people are like just joking about oh he's got a type he just has a genuine interest in her which is kind of cute yeah and it's a funny thing where like Chi-Li is like <laughs> coming from looting Beerus's castle presumably and then she like runs right into them and is like uh-oh and she's like Oh, crap. Chi-Li is brave. <laughs> yeah, no. Seriously, the gall. Well, that's, uh, I like seeing a little bit of that personality of hers again. So it's it's nice. And it's nice, again, like how kind of, you know, friendly Beerus is actually towards Lemo Chi-Li. Like he's telling Lemo, hey, you know, you're a great cook. Uh, you, you know, you not work for me. And then when they're getting ice cream, it's like, hey, Lemo, take a break from those issues and come have some ice cream. So that was nice. I like seeing those interactions. I wouldn't mind seeing more of that stuff. Yeah. 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 And then uh, I know we're getting kind of long, but I, I do also just want to mention, um, what was it? Uh, and I, I know Lum might disagree with me on this a little bit because we were kind of talking about this like on Discord a little bit. The stuff with Bulma in particular and how like she's continuing to use the Dragon Balls to make her look more beautiful and, and all that stuff. I really like some of that stuff because I, I do genuinely think that's one of my favorite gags in Broly was her wanting to use the Dragon Balls to make her like slightly younger looking. And I, I thought that was like a good gag and how that like also feeds into like Frieza's gag of like wanting to be a little taller. Yeah, it's like parallels with Frieza's also petty. Yeah, yeah, so that so that was good. Um, And I didn't mind it in this movie, but I do also agree with what we were talking about in Discord and how like as funny as I thought some of that stuff was in this movie, I do hope we don't get to a point where like they just rely on that too much, you know? Yeah, but Bulma is just only obsessed with her looks and just her vain appearance. I mean, that also plays into the ending of the movie where Bulma's like, hey, Dr. Hedo, uh, you know, if you can, like, make this super ally up for your skin, like, can you do anything about wrinkles? And that's why she hires him for Katsuki Replation, which I think is a funny payoff to that. I, I, see, I think that it's funny and it's in line with her character. I just think in the broader scheme of things, to have Dragon Ball's most prominent female character, like, be defined by kind of a tire trope about how obsessed women are about 
about their appearances and afraid of like showing visible aging is just kind of, you know, again, plays into some tiresome sexist tropes. You know, I think the execution of the gag is funny, but again, the cultural context of this, you know, is, is just kind of frustrating. Yeah, it kind of treads that line. Yeah, because like it, it would have been one thing because I when I did see your conversation on Discord a little bit about it and I'm like, I was of two minds where I agreed with kind of both of you because like it'd be one thing if this was not in character for Bulma, then I'd be like completely like, yeah, no, this isn't. But from what we've seen for the myriad of Dragon Ball episodes and <laughs> things is this is very much what she would do. But it is a thing where it's like, yeah, it is kind of a tired joke and it's not. I mean, I think, again, agreeing with Lum, that I, I think the execution is, was fine. Yeah. yeah. I just hope that it doesn't. Because uh, that's one thing, one aspect of Dragon Ball I've always liked with Bulma's character is like, yeah, there are some unfortunate implications in what she's involved in, some of the jokes that she's involved in. But because she's so vain, <laughs> like, it's sometimes they're all they're not i'm not going to say necessarily that she deserves them that's too strong a sentiment but it's also kind of a thing that she gives as much as she gets i guess i I don't know where i'm going with this i was gonna say like as fine as i am with the gags in this movie i do totally understand the fear of her in particular becoming kind of flanderize you know about that just basically about that just being her whole entire thing i think would get kind of annoying after a while honestly but here i thought it was fine Mm-hmm. Yeah, a one trick, you know, becoming a one trick pony. Yeah, that that would be the fear of it and everything like that. But I mean, I do feel like um, overall, though. I mean, her being in the movie and everything, I, I thought it was fine. But man, I, I'm sorry, I got to bring it up. That ass shot was kind of nice, though. <laughs> yeah, no, they really did try to make it prominent and in your face. It's like just a shot of Bulma's. But as we focus on it, she's like searching for the communicator. So they lovingly dedicated time to some of the jiggle physics what on that. No, they, they really I, are trying it? to show off his bucks in this. Yeah. I, I, what, I, what, what does it say about me that I didn't notice? <laughs> <laughs> you're not I, I as com- horny pilled as us, I guess. <laughs> you're not you're not as as in Toriyama's mindset as we are. Okay, I, I, I just like, because like, you guys are talking about it, I'm just like, I don't remember this at all. <laughs> like, no, I mean, like, not that You're I mean, much more I know culture that... than either of us. <laughs> no, it's all about the, the breasts for you, not the booty. <laughs> That's... You disagree with Space Dandy. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's not completely untrue but no i mean i remember her bringing it up so it's not like i mean my i, I know I'm, I'm going senile as probably as definitely the oldest person on this call on this um recording <laughs> but like um like yeah i know i'm going senile but like i was like i remember that but i don't remember it being like them lovingly like embracing the booty and i'm just like I, why don't i remember that at all but okay i guess yeah that that, that is true i i am more that, that i guess that's just less my interest <laughs> why are we talking about this let's change the subject <laughs> yeah so uh we are getting kind of long so i do kind of want to wrap up soon i guess uh i think i've talked about a lot of the stuff i really want to personally but i mean i guess do either of you guys have any like miscellaneous final thoughts that you want to put out there before we end the show I have a couple. I mean, Sakaki, do you want to go first? No, you go ahead. I, I'll probably be able to piggyback off of like anything that you have to say. So, just one final note with Selenax is that I was surprised that you know he was kind of revealed and like kind of the the looming threat from pretty early on in the movie because I knew 
about Cell Max that he was going to be in Same, the movie, but yeah. I thought it would be like, oh, a final act reveal. But I was actually pleasantly surprised. Like, oh no, the tension of the movie is that they find out Cell Max is something that the army is prepared, and Pico's like, okay, I gotta stop this before this escalates and this is activated. So I like that. Yeah, that's a good way to kind of keep the viewer interested. Like, ooh, Cell, he's gonna be in this movie. Yeah. But also, it's just not a last minute, oh, here's a new big boss. It's like, oh, no, this is something we're build yeah. up, building up as like a threat. I would have laughed so hard if they didn't mention Cell Max up until the first time he appeared. <laughs> and then in terms of more like background details, like for one, one thing that I knew going in is that this movie would canonize or like make it explicit on screen. The fact that Android 21 is based on Dr. Ghetto's wife, Romy, and that Android 16 is based on his son ghetto but what i was surprised seeing or like seeing this implication i mean i didn't even notice it the first time i watched the movie vix pointed it out to me is that on magenta's desk is about a picture of commander red and colonel violet which is to imply that maybe magenta is the son of both red and violet which i guess color scheme wise it makes, sense, makes sense but continuity wise is a little iffy, uh, depending on where you're comparing anime continuity or manga continuity. Because in the manga, you know, you can make that up and say, okay, Red and Violet had a thing because Violet is literally one panel of the manga. But in huh. the anime, Colonel Violet has this whole subplot where she like, you know, really expands on her character. I don't know if you guys know what I, I'm talking about. I don't know if you watched that far in the anime. I don't think we've gotten So yeah. I don't want to spoil yeah. it completely, but Colonel Violet is much more of a fleshed out character in the anime who gets like her own subplot. I'm not even sure I remember this character at all <laughs> yeah so i mean that's the thing because in the manga she's in one panel in the okay. anime they they have her, her have like much more of an expanded role and that role and her relationship to the red ribbon army and commander red feels like it contradicts like the implication made in this movie that perhaps magenta is the son of red but also like age-wise it feels like off that violet would be his mother so that's kind of an odd thing see just as a manga fan specifically i wouldn't have like thought anything of it yeah, manga-wise, again, she's in one panel, but, like, in the anime, she's, like, more of a character, so, like, it's, it's a weird continuity snafu between them, which, like, I mean, the Red Ribbon Army arc is no stranger to that, considering Dr. Flap versus, uh, who's the real creator of Android Age, you know? <sighs> yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> true. <laughs> is there any indication in the anime that they were, like, romantically involved at all, I guess? No, not at okay. all. Like, no, okay. not. Colonel Violet, she has, uh... Have no real loyalty, I will say, to the Red Ribbon Army, and you'll see that okay. play out. Okay. So that's why it's like very confusing to suggest this idea that oh, she and Red were a couple, and she was Magenta's mother. So, so. there's a lot more room to work within the manga, where like you can kind of finagle yeah, things. Yeah, where she like, has like no yeah. character besides showing up to present Red with Dragon Ball. Whereas in the anime, we see her do a lot more things that would suggest that. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. That was uh, that was an interesting thing. I, I do like that this movie does incorporate, like, different parts of the lore that we've gotten revealed from Toriyama over the years. Like, I, I like that that stuff's finally being kind of, like, incorporated officially. I also really like that Magenta at one point was just a Yankee. I want to see that stuff. <laughs> that was, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I liked that a lot. I'm almost, like, disappointed Magenta was killed off. Like, it's a very funny gag that, like, he has built his, he's turned himself into a cyborg and he's starting to flex. But then, like, you know, <laughs> Ghetto would just, like, 
poisons him with Hachimaru and is like, yeah, I told you if there's like any human part of you exposed, like that poison is going to like kill you like instantly. That's my favorite bit of character animation in the entire movie. Just him, yeah. like, just him like dying and him eventually doing like all the kabuki stances that that yeah. made me laugh so hard. <laughs> that was pretty That funny. was so good. Also, like, it's really funny because like we do have that moment where like they're kind of confronting each other right before Magenta like activates Cell Max and like Magenta like shoots him. And at first, like you kind of think he's dead. I totally forgot that at the beginning of the movie, they, they reference his skin. <laughs> like, literally, I was like, oh, and then I was like, oh, I forgot. If you pay attention, you see on the ground, the bullets are bouncing off of him. And they're okay, like, I didn't you notice know, that. Yeah. bouncing on the floor. And it's like, oh, so that's a nice little circle. Like, yeah, they, they're not actually penetrating him. They're just like completely bouncing off. So, and he's just like play acting. And I do like that they reference that a couple times, too. So it's like, I mean, just to go back to what we were talking about, about how things were kind of foreshadowed throughout this movie, I think they did a pretty decent job with that because like that was one of the very first things he said and he said it more than once that yeah my skin i i've done stuff to my skin that i have to receive a certain shock to for it to be able to um you know penetrate me at all so i did like that even at the end of the movie where it was just like um you know the gammas were trying to save him and it's like it looked like he died and like no you know he had that adaptation done to himself so like you knew he was probably going to survive Mm-hmm. Genuinely, when that scene happened, I was like, oh, wait, I forget. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> uh, so that that was a good, like, fake out for a second there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, look, th- this is one of those movies where, like, there's so many details we could, like, constantly talk about, but we're definitely running long. And, I mean, I think, you know, if you're listening to this, I mean, if you're, if you're this far in, I think you could tell that, like, I think this is a good Dragon Ball movie. Like, this is worth seeing, especially if you're a fan. And, I mean... I don't know, I just, like, like as, as much as I have my feelings about, like, which movies I like more than it or less than it, like, I had a fun time with it, and, like, honestly, even though I want to see it a third time because, specifically, I want to watch it in Japanese, like, honestly, I, I would have seen it multiple times anyway, because, like, I like the movie enough that I want to see it again and again is the thing. For sure. Yeah, I agree. It is a thing that I would have definitely loved to see it again before this recording, but I'm definitely going to make a de- an effort to get out there to see it after this. I mean, it's, it's talking to you guys about like just the whole lore of Dragon Ball and everything has made me even more interested in this because now I can see this with a completely different perspective because I like that we have the three of us speaking about this in particular just because again this is sort of like a reintroduction to Dragon Ball for me since I have really been away from the franchise for such a long time so hearing you guys talk about it like this has really made me more like even more interested in seeing more getting back into Dragon Ball properly and this movie I feel like is as much as yeah we do we have mentioned that the pacing kind of suffered a bit because they were trying to include everybody i still think it's a pretty decent like i was never checking my watch during this movie uh, yeah I, I wouldn't necessarily say this is a good introduction to it no but like if you were just like okay i want to see i'm a new dragon ball fan i want to see what's up with the new thing i got in via Fortnite or something yeah like like if you're that person who's just like you know okay i saw goku Fortnite. what the fuck is this all about if you did want to just go wander the theaters and see this it's not the worst introduction it's not the best either but like i i think it's enough fun that if the only thing you get out of it is like oh okay this is what this is all about then it's a good point like i guess entry drug into it if you're if for like gateway drug gateway yeah like into it i mean obviously there are better movies and better i mean obviously you should just watch dragon ball or read the manga first but like if you just wanted to see just animated 
the reason I'm struggling with this is like this is also there's so little Goku and Vegeta who are like the face of the franchise in this, so it's it's hard for me to really like like reconcile what I'm saying. But at the same time, it is kind of like I do think it's a fine movie, even if you're whether you're a new Dragon Ball fan or definitely if you're a veteran and you've been around for a while. If for nothing else, they really did do my boy Piccolo right. They did. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's all that matters in the end, honestly. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's my take too. Is that I went in just really wanting a movie that focused on Piccolo's character and gave him the spotlight he deserves, and I got that out of the movie and more in how it explores his relationship with Han and Gohan and I was very satisfied with that. I have my criticisms on some aspects of how the story played out and some other minor things but overall I really enjoy the movie and definitely I'll probably be seeing this another time. It's a very fun time if you're a Dragon Ball fan I think. I think you know especially seeing the response from it from a lot of folks uh, online. I think it'll be the kind of movie and story that a lot of folks really have wanted from Dragon Ball for a long time and will be really pleased with. I mean, if nothing else, I'm just proud of Toei and Toriyama for taking this chance on doing something different. Like For sure, yeah. Whether it sticks and they continue down this path and keep doing different things with the franchise. Because, I mean, Dragon Ball is at a point, I feel like, now that they can be a bit more experimental with it. Yeah. Like, it's pulled its weight for decades now, and it's proven it can take a lot of stuff that, I mean, even long hiatuses between releases and everything. It's proven itself. So I think that this would be a great time to do new things like this. For sure, yeah. Absolutely. But, I mean, whether, as we talked about at the outset, whether they'll look at Japan and say, yeah, you know, Japanese fans weren't feeling it, we're going to go back to Goku and Vegeta next time. Or if they'll be like, well, but everybody around the world liked it, so we're going to go with this. I mean, I've heard rumors from different sources, nothing substantiated right now, that a lot of the One Piece animators are moving to a Dragon Ball project. So. Oh, hmm. interesting. I, I again, I've this is all hearsay. We're finally from... getting super two, tuper, whatever the fuck people <laughs> online are calling it. <laughs> I mean, we're two completed arcs in the manga. I mean, there's definitely the material for it, but yeah, I or wonder if they'll just move on right to the next film project. I mean, the 40th anniversary is coming up in two years, so. Yeah, oh so it, yeah, there is that. I mean, of course, again, this is all just hearsay of her, like, from pretty, I would say from sources that are pretty consistent on what's going on with the franchise and what's coming up next, but nothing that I would say, oh, okay, with my full chest, I believe this is happening. But I have heard that, yeah, One Piece is losing a lot of animators to Dragon Ball. Hmm. Mm, okay, well, I guess we'll see what comes out of that, but um, I think that's a good place to end. I mean, super superhero's good. Yep, this movie soars high like Pan's flying at the end, and it definitely lives up to the double supers in its title. Now, Pan's flying is a one other scene I want to just touch on. It's like I feel yeah, like sure. the first time we see it, uh, it didn't quite have the weight I wanted it. I mean, it, it happens in an intense moment of like her running from the blast, but I, I wish it was a bigger moment in that moment. But I, at the end, where she's like showing it off to Piccolo, that made me smile. I think that really kind of got that like kind of magical feel of it, like in the same way like Videl flying in the anime version did back in the day. So I really appreciated that. That was that was a great moment, just because everybody was so happy. Before, yeah, and, like, and her flights flying around everyone, it was just really nice. We surprisingly didn't talk about Pan a whole lot, but I love her and I want to. But she was her. precious, she was <laughs> yes, amazing, she really and was. makes me really want more focus on her, more spotlight in future stories. When she started like doing the Arale run, I had yeah, the biggest smile on my face. From <laughs> like, that was great, that, that was so cute. She's basically this franchise's Arale. 
Like I would love, I would love to see her become that almost. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> I want to see your punch and crack in half the earth. <laughs> so many. I mean, not a very early moments, but like when the like outer red ribbon goon Piccolo tagged along with to kidnap Pan. Like when he's like trying to get Pan to come with her, she just like immediately punches out. It's like, teacher, I don't know this man. That was very funny. But then to also go back with like my feeling about that first scene where Pan manages to fly, I feel like one thing that we really needed more in that scene was also like kind of uh, just more impactful music. And I think that's just like broader criticism for this film is that I think the overture, the superhero overture works. And I like that the teaming that they're trying to mimic like kind of blockbuster superhero scores. But uh, I feel like there were moments in the film where we really could have used like a more impactful sound, particularly when Gohan does this transformation, which we also didn't really talk about much. But like there's like a droning music playing, but there's like it does not as like the score you really want I feel for that scene of him like doing his big transformation spurred on by like kind of this emotional moment of seeing Piccolo like be defeated by Cell Max and stuff and doing his final blast uh, Makango Sampo against like Cell's like weird nebulous like energy ball or whatever so that's a that's one criticism I have in comparison to like Broly where the soundtrack of Broly was just like so like memorable and intense I felt like yeah. this one was falling flat for me in like bigger scenes yeah that's yeah. that's fair I'm sorry, one more absolute last thing and I promise we'll end. I'm not sure if it was intentional, but I really feel like Piccolo holding back Cell Max so that like Gohan could use the special beam cannon. I feel like really mirrors like the Raditz yeah. stuff where Goku's the ones holding back Raditz. I mean, especially with him with Gohan using the Makanko Sapo in the same way, you know. I actually made a joke about that to Vix at the time we were watching it. I was like, oh, like, yeah, they're really uh, <laughs> we're doing the Raditz tactical over again. Good thing Piccolo doesn't have to die for it though. This you know this time I'm like Goku, so. Yeah, but no, a lot of small callbacks in the film like that. I will say I was really happy. Like, I was like, are, is he going to do, is he going to do like a command? Yeah, especially because Piccolo sets that up. It's like, oh, do a Kamehameha or whatever. But no, he doesn't. Yeah, that's Kankosapa. what I was thinking. I was like, no, yeah, I was thinking, no, he should, he, no, I, I was really happy that he ended up using, he didn't do it though. And you like can that. tell Piccolo is happy about it. Like he asked him like, hey, oh how would you God. know to do that? And he's like, huh, you know, it looked good. It was you pretty know, good, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it just was like, I was really happy. Like, when they were leading up to that, I'm like, he's going to have to use it, right? He can't not. Oh, yeah. He, he has to use his real dad's technique. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I was thinking to myself the whole time. Like, I would be really disappointed if he doesn't. And if he did, I, I cracked a smile. Like, I genuinely that wasn't was expecting it. <laughs> no. It's a real it pleasant so surprise. Good. Yeah, yeah, I I genuinely have to smile. Just like, yeah, I'm I'm happy. This movie, it's past my, <laughs> it's past my very high, lofty expectations. Just no, I'm kidding. Like that, that did make me genuinely happy. That was so that, fucking like he uses as Colton. I know Colton was joking, but like, yeah, his actual dad's technique. <laughs> Yeah, God. Uh, I think that's a good sentiment to end on. Yeah, this movie will make you very happy. No, yeah, this movie's good. Liked it. Definitely going to see it again. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. Again, went on longer than I thought it would, but that always happens with us. So I'm not even <laughs> I'm not even mad. But um, so it, it's it's really funny, actually, because this is going to be up on the main feed exclusively. And uh, for, for people listening to our podcast, uh, it, it's kind of funny that we're talking about a movie that involves the Red Ribbon Army, because technically on our next actual episode of the podcast, we are going to be starting the Red Ribbon Army arc, which is really yes, cool. Yes, one of my favorite arcs. Yes. <laughs> 
happy. Oh, man. Uh, so definitely look out for our next actual episode of the podcast, our next, uh, I guess, in canon episode of the podcast, uh, where we start up the Red Ribbon Army arc, and we're going to be talking about episodes 29 to 31 with a special guest. Uh, so definitely look forward to that when that's out. But until then, again, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. And Lum, thank you so much for coming on and joining us for this discussion. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, of course, I had a lot to say about the Dragon Ball movie and glad I had to have an outlet opportunity to do so. So thank you for having me on for it. I was going to say, like, if I didn't invite you on this show, we probably would have ended up talking about it on Mavericks anyway. So, like, I just kind of figured, let's uh, let's consolidate these discussions, just have them on one, you know? It just made uh, sense yeah. to me. Or I would have done it at movies that <laughs> might have gone even longer, depending on who I had on. <laughs> if I hadn't talked to Vix again about it, maybe it would have been another four-hour one. I don't doubt it. But yeah, no, th- thank you so much for joining us. And uh, I guess until the next time we hopefully have you on the show, uh, let people know where they can find you. You can find me at Lumberyasha on Twitter. It's Lumberyasha Variety, places like Amateurish and Analyst and Letterboxd. Or there's a Lumberyasha. You can find me there by the name. You can read my manga reviews on mongarevs.com. A lot of books coming in, a lot of reviews planned to go out. So look forward to more on there. That's also you can find the other podcast I do, Lum Squad, the Yours Yatsu Focus podcast I do with my good friend, Andrew AC Yoshimura, where we discussed a wonderful and wacky world of Ruka Hakashi's Yurisei Yatsura, and had a lot of fun going through the manga, reporting on the latest news with the upcoming anime. We're so excited to cover the new anime when it debuts this fall. Uh, we've been enjoying covering the movies available on Crunchyroll and on Blu-ray from Discotech, and of course, we're so excited for Discotech's upcoming re-release of the original TV series next year. So there's a lot to talk about with Yurisei Yatsura these days, and you know, if you're a fan of Piccolo, you're probably a fan of Toshio Furukawa's other roles, so definitely check in for a lot of discussion of his, like, kind of breakout character or one of his really first uh, iconic characters in Ataru Moroboshi in Yurisei Yatsura, so definitely check that out. And, you know, also, related to that, I mean, interviewed Toshio Furukawa at Otakon, so look forward to my interview with him coming out soon and listening to it on a future Lump Squad episode. So, yeah. And if you like the art that I do, the thumbnails that I make for our podcast, Podcast or the illustrations and animations I make in general, you can find that on my Instagram at SetArtworks. And oh, I didn't really say where you can find Lum Squad on social. You can find Lum Squad uh, on Twitter at Lum underscore Squad. And you can also find the YouTube channel by searching for it. And we're on every podcast platform you can think of Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. And we also cross post episodes on the Mommy Rights feed and early on the Mary's Patreon, sometimes uh, quite a bit early. So look forward to more Lum Squad episodes on those avenues as well. Yes, please definitely go follow Lum and all their stuff. Uh, Listen to Manga Mavericks. Listen to Lum Squad. Listen to their podcast. And yeah, as soon as that interview with uh, Furukawa's out, we'll definitely leave a link to that in the show notes. I'm sure we will be plugging the hell out of that when that's out. That's really cool that you got to do that. And then, yeah, I guess uh, Sakaki, buddy, want to go ahead and plug your stuff? Sure. And I mean, I didn't get to interview Furukawa, but I got to see him. So, and he is definitely a huge, huge Piccolo fan. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he has a room full of piccolo he stuff. He brought his little he, piccolo uh, yes. doll to uh, all his panels, and he was very so proudly cool. showing it off. It was yeah, very cute. Yeah, so, but you can find me at Kirobon, K-I-I-R-O-B-O-N on Twitter. Um, Not a whole lot going on there, trying to fix that, but, you know, baby steps. The main place you can find me, though, is at WSS Talkback. Uh, that's Weekly Shogakukan Edition, uh, where we take the Shonen Sunday magazine break it apart and talk about the entire thing every week there are lots of magazine based twitters out there but we're the only ones that i know so far that actually really dig deep in a magazine 
as much as it takes three hours a week, <laughs> I still have a lot of fun of it. A lot of fun with it. Yeah, so news, uh, general things, covers, stuff like that on the Twitter and everything like that. Um, there's also the blog, uh, wsstalkback.blogspot.com, which the most recent thing is a write-up on CRX, because we went to Otacon with Lum and V-Lord, our good friends, and, of course, Jekka as well. And then right afterwards, we went right to another con in San Jose with Crunchyroll Expo. So I wrote up my experiences there, and it was a really fun time. Like, I, it was way more chill. I was expecting, but you can read more about that in the blog write-up for Crunchyroll Expo. Um, and of course, for that, if you are ever interested in writing anything about ShogakuCon, not just Shonen Sunday, whether it's an anime or a manga or whatever, whatever, what have you, we're always looking for guest writers. So please, by all means, uh, hit us up on the Twitter or send us an email and we can definitely, would love to have more voices. Speaking of that, I'm also on at Saturday Night Shoggy on Twitter with good friends Lord and Marion. We haven't recorded for a while, mostly just because Vlord has a life now. Hopefully once he's back up to, you know, I mean, he's been schooling and everything and all that. So like, yeah, it has been on hiatus. But once he's back to being able to record, then we'll probably start pumping out episodes again. Because that's kind of our passion project of the V-Lord Podcast Network. The business side of things is at the Slayer Podcast, the Demon Slayer Podcast, which I haven't been on for a million years. <laughs> but, but like V-Lord has promised that we'll do something again. Because like, I mean, I know I'm more the manga side of things in the anime and definitely the anime has been the focus of demon slayer as of late so hopefully you know maybe with the new season coming out whenever that happens i'll be able to be on the show again um and then of course at shaman king pod over soul shaman king podcast which is obviously about shaman king which hopefully that was what we were doing consistently and then that kind of fell off too but like i know we have one more core of the netflix well not it's not a netflix anime but it's an anime that runs on netflix definitely a big distinction there <laughs> um we have one more core of that and of course the manga so hopefully we will get back to that soon i'm also a writer on toonami faithful which that's how i got into Otakon press so i have actually finished my first draft of the Otakon review for them and it's been reviewed so it's just picking that apart finalizing it and hopefully I'll see you'll see my glorious return to Tsunami Faithful once that's up and that was a lot of fun to write as well other than that like yeah that's pretty much where you can find me all right, definitely go follow Sakaki stuff as well and uh, check out everything they're doing uh, as well as me. I'm Colton. I'm the host of this podcast. And one of the hosts, I should, I should say. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at SniperKing323. You can also check out all my other podcasts, including Manga Mavericks, of which Lum is another host of as well. And you could basically check that out. And basically all my other stuff that I do over my personal blog at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. I have a page dedicated to all the podcasts I'm doing, uh, even podcasts I'm not doing anymore, as well as guest spots I've done on other shows over the years i've been podcasting over the almost 10 years i've been podcasting <sighs> i'm gonna wither in the <laughs> dust if you like this podcast and you want to hear all my other stuff again colton corner wordpress.com click on the podcast page check out my stuff uh but as for everything involving this podcast follow us on twitter at another db pod that's where you'll get the latest updates on the podcast and as far as uh, when our next episode comes out and everything just general updates on the podcast 
email us anything at anotherdbpod at gmail.com. Especially if you have any thoughts on superhero in particular or any any of the Dragon Ball movies, anything Dragon Ball in general. We love getting emails. We haven't gotten very many yet, but when we do, uh, we'll read them on the show because we want to hear what you guys think about Dragon Ball just in general. Uh, again, we'll read them on the show. Once again, anotherdbpod at gmail.com. Uh, special thanks to my friend Taylor at Taysamey, T-A-Y-S-A-M-E-Y on Twitter for the glorious album art and logos that she's designed for us. I really love the art and logos that she's done for this podcast. Uh, so if you enjoy our album art at all, please follow Taylor on Twitter once again at Taysamey. Uh, tell her how much you like her artwork. Um, maybe even commission her for something. I don't know. It's up to you. But again, special thanks to Taylor for that. Really appreciate her work. And I guess as far as where you can listen to the podcast, we're on so many different podcast platforms at this point, especially Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, uh, you know, subscribe, rate and review us. That's the most important thing. You know, leave us a rating and a review, especially uh, it really helps the visibility of our show and helps us get out there to more listeners. I mentioned earlier that our next episode of the podcast coming out on the main feed is the start of our coverage of the Red Ribbon Army arc. But guess what? You can listen to the five latest episodes of the podcast before they're up on the main feed. That's right. If you go to patreon.com slash manga mavericks, subscribe to the $3 tier in particular, and you'll get the five latest episodes of this podcast before they're up on the main feed. And you can listen to most of the beginning of our Red Ribbon Army coverage. I've been really loving covering the arc lately. So if you just can't wait for the next few episodes of the podcast, again, patreon.com slash manga mavericks at $3 tier. Please go listen to those. Basically, every time I upload a new episode to the Patreon, I will upload an episode to the main feed. Uh, and that's basically how we're releasing the podcast right now. And and yeah, I think that's going to be about it for everything for the show. Once again, guys, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. And once again, we will see you guys next time as we cover episodes 29 to 31 of the original Dragon Ball anime covering the start of the Red Ribbon Army arc with a special guest. But until then, we'll see you guys another day for another adventure. <laughs>